This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2 2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He does. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. This might be the perfect day to have Tom Verducci on from Sports Illustrated. This, we couldn't plan it. Commander, you couldn't plan it any better. As Tom has come out with a great article, Sports Illustrated, talking about these games are way too long. And we just sat through, and I can tell you our broadcasters were like, it's brutal. We just sat through over a three-hour spring training game. (laughs) Three hours. Seriously, we're supposed to be on at 4 o'clock. It's 4.30 and we're getting on. I mean... It, 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 they got to figure something out. And I I actually have my own theory. I will give it to you. Let me tell you what the problem is. Stop if you've heard me say this. It's the player's fault. As much as we try and think it's the game, it's the player's fault. They dictate the place, the pace of the game. I don't know how you speed them up. They're talking about clocks. I mean, they're there, but you get here, here, here is where the rubber meets the road. These players show up literally hours before first pitch. They're at the ballpark all day long. So to them, they don't care because they've been there since noon, one o'clock. Yes. Noon. Some of these guys show up to eat lunch for a 707 game. I don't know why. I mean, y'all y- y- make enough money to be able to f- afford lunch on your own and not have to come to the ballpark. But these guys are getting there so early that they spend the entire day. They read the paper, they read magazines, they work out. So they're just used to be putting in a full a full day to where, yes, Ray Fossey in the 70s, these guys showed up a couple hours before the game. They're not there seven to six hours before first pitch. So that's why these guys are always, you know, fixing their batting gloves, stepping out. Every pitcher takes X amount of, you know, everybody's throwing as hard as they can. So they're taking more time to throw pitches. And so I don't think they realize Boys, you've been out here for three hours. Do you know that the Atlanta Braves back in the day for their home games, when they had Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, that crew, their average home game was like two hours and 15 minutes. So think about that. You're out of the ballpark by 9, 9.15. And here's a major problem. Now, I know there's some of you who say, I don't care. Don't change anything. Well, let me tell you something. This generation of kids, 
they're not getting to see the games. Because the end of the game, they got to go to bed. They have school. And the people who say they don't care, like, what job do you have where you you can be at the ballpark till almost 11 o'clock at night? Don't you have to get up? To, don't you have to get up the next day? I mean, I'm fortunate this is my job, but let me tell you something. Uh, it's a grind when I get home at 1 a.m. and I got to be up to help make breakfast and take my kids to school. It's rough. And this is just another great example. This is a ho-hum spring training game. And it'd be one thing, Commander, if this was like 12 to 8, right? If this was like a real high-scoring game, this was only 6 to 1. And actually, all the action really happened in the top of the fourth inning when they scored four. The A's only scored one run, and they played over a three-hour game. Like, that that's where, you know, I, I think can't we all meet on that and say that that's just not. I understand if you have this blowout and there's a ton of runs being scored, but when you've got one team only scoring one run and the other team basically scored the majority of the runs in one inning, then how's it possible you're going that long? And, by the way, there was bases loaded that the Cubs got out of. This thing could have been even way longer. I'll give you a couple of numbers. 19, 15, 9, and 2. What do those numbers mean? No clue. 19 strikeouts by both teams today. 15 combined oh. hits, 9 combined walks, and 2 errors. And I guess if you want to add, there were 7 combined runs. This game took 180, if you, you have to r- roughly around 189 minutes. I included the, the sign-off by Ken and Vince. So around 189 minutes or 3 hours and 9 minutes in a spring training game. The average length of a baseball game last season was around three hours and seven minutes. You know what the average game time in 2003 was? Two hours and 49 minutes. So there's a big increase by almost 20 minutes in game time by literally, as Tom lays out in his article, that's just going on, the dead period in between innings and, 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 and pitches. And it's just – and it's not on just position players. Pitchers are, are – the, the Pedro Baez's of the world and you Darvish's, who I love, they take forever in between pitches. I think in Tom's article, he says where Darvish should take like 12 seconds in between pitches. It's like up over 20 now for a guy that, you know, was a Cy Young contender last year. But still, like, that's way too long if we're trying to get these games in, in under three hours, which hasn't happened in, let's see, I have it right here. The last time a game was played in under three hours, 2011, when was it two hours and 56 minutes was the average game time. So you have to go back 10 years ago when games are under three hours long. I I just don't know how that's good for your sport. Longer is not better. Once again, you're trying to, you're trying to build fan bases and generations. And these kids, they can't stay up. Like my kids, my kids are pretty, um, they're on a schedule. So, like, even, like, in summertime when they don't have school, they're not staying up late. They don't do that. They may stay up a little bit later, but not a lot. It's not like my kids are staying up till 1130. Now, I have teenagers now, so maybe that will change. We'll see. But, you know, if you're if you're a little kid and your favorite player is Matt Chapman or, or Matt Olson and you've got to go to bed in the sixth inning, that's not good for the A's. That's not good for any team. 
And then you got, you know, I mean, how many people, why people like don't show up on a Tuesday night? Why is there like 10,000 people or 11,000 people on a Tuesday night? Well, people got to get up and go to work the next day. It's tough. And I hate to start the show with that, but I mean, when you've got one of the top columnists coming on today in baseball, Tom Verducci, I mean, Tom's been one of the ace columnists for a long time. He calls it a crisis. Go read the article on, on SI.com. Which, which, uh, I read it yesterday. Cody, what was the World Series game where there was 26 minutes and only two balls put in play? That'd be game, game six. That'd be game six when the Dodgers and Rays last year. Holy. Seriously? Two balls put in play in 26 minutes. Yeah, the game took three hours and 28 minutes. It took to play eight and a half innings. That's all 32 balls in play or one every six and a half minutes. That's not good. Can you, can you imagine watching a basketball game? You're watching the Warriors take on the Lakers. And you're only getting one shot up every six minutes. I mean, there's teams that want to get a shot up every, tw- every, you know, the shot clock's 24 seconds. They want to get a shot up every, up every five seconds. Like, the goal in football now is to re- – who whoever runs the most plays is probably going to win. Like, you want to run as many plays as you possibly can. Can you imagine sitting there at a football game? I'll throw it to you Niner fans, to you Raider fans. Can you imagine if your team didn't run a play for six minutes? You sat there in your seat. And just watched everybody talk to each other, and then six minutes later, hike. You know that would be insane. That's why I love comparing baseball to other sports because it shows you how ridiculous some of the stuff is. Right? Two balls put in play, twenty six minutes. I mean, that's just, <laughs> and that's another reason why the games take you know so many walks and so many strikeouts and oh god. I'm only saying it because I love the game. I want to make the game better. I want to make it faster. I wonder, what could the umpires do? I mean, can the umpires be like, let's go, let's go, let's go. I don't know at one point do the players, you know, revolt. But somebody's got to get these guys moving faster. Pitchers got to throw it faster. Hitters got to get in there. I mean, they, they should make that rule and, and force it. Hey, once you're in the box, you don't get out of the box. Stop adjusting your batting gloves. Stop, you know, get in there and hit. Well, in, in the piece, Tom mentions in there about uh, there was, it was like a rule that wasn't publicly put out there like they were talking about they were considering for the season. It was a 17-second pitch clock with runners on or without. And batter was a, would not be granted a timeout once the clock reached 10 seconds, except for emergencies such as, like, eye irritation. So if, you, if you're getting down to 10 seconds, you want to call time to get out and readjust your batting gloves and look down to see if, the, uh, if you want to put the old hit and run on, if there's a guy on, or if you want to see if the guy's going to steal a base, which, well, <clears throat> let's be honest, no one steals bases anymore, so that's, that plays not on. Uh, could be coming back. Hopefully, yes. Uh, hopefully it could be coming back. But I, I like that idea where you can't step out once the clock hits 10 seconds. Unless it's an emergency, of course. But if you just want to readjust your, your batting gloves or have a mental reset, like, I'm sorry, you know you got to stay in the box. I like that idea. How do we enforce it? How do we, how, how do, how do we look at these guys and say, speed it up? 
because that's that's essentially what needs to happen. Uh, but yeah, the A's lose today. Some good news though. I mean, I love seeing Jed Lowry get a base hit. I mean, we, we, Jed's hitting. That is that is fantastic news. You know who's having a really good spring too? Chad Pender. And I just wonder at what point can Chad Pender force his way into the lineup the way Mark Canna did. Mark Canna forced his way into the lineup. And if you, you, you listen to A's talk after the games, how many times I was saying, I don't care where he plays, his bat has to be in the lineup. He needs to play. Good article on MLB.com talking about the backup catcher situation. Right now, I'm probably leaning Austin Allen. And the reason why is the makeup of the left-handed bat. What what that does versatility for Bob Melvin. And we haven't had Bob in a while. Maybe we need him back on. But that's like the ultimate compliment. If your starter is right-handed, it's great that your backup is left-handed. So he can also be there for pinch hitting. Now, if your best, you know, if you, if you, if the best guy is, is right-handed too, it is what it is. But ideally you'd love, I remember, remember it was back on ESPN when ESPN actually cared about baseball, that Buck Showalter did the total breakdown of how you want your 25 man roster now 26, but he talked about your two catchers. Ideally, you want one right-handed, one left-handed when it comes to hitting. And if you remember, I got that scouting report on Austin Allen from the Padres. And the comparison, what they believe Austin Allen can be long-term, is they think he can be Stephen Vogt. Last time I checked, I'd take Stephen Vogt as my backup. A young Stephen Vogt as my backup, I'd take it, no question. Well, Voter's still playing, first of all. Uh, he's the, I think he's the backup for the Diamondbacks. I don't think he's a starter. But not only that, he outplayed Buster Posey a few years ago as the backup catcher. Now, I'm not – I mean, this is not throwing shade, as people say, at Buster Posey, but Stephen Vogt's still a pretty productive player. And you're right, he'd be a great backup catcher to have. That's why I like the idea of having a left-handed a left-handed hitting catcher because it helps, it helps equal out the lineup, especially with the A's with being so right-handed heavy – besides the Matt Olson and, and the Mitch Moreland. So having him be able to play, you know, when Sean, Mur- Sean Murphy needs a day off, which also great to see Sean Murphy playing again after he started yesterday after the lung, the lung, collapsed lung. So it's good to have him back. But, you know, you're, you were irritated today by um, the, lo- the length of the game. You know what irritated me? I don't care to see Zach Davies bat in a spring training game. <sighs> why are pitchers – why don't we have the DH? I'm sorry. We need to have it back. Um, just, I, I don't, Zach Davies first at bat against Frankie Montas strikes out Zach Davies second at bat base is loaded, comes up, nobody out strikes out looking, leaves three guys on. No, the Cubs end up capitalizing. Cause there was a, it was a th- uh, bases clearing double for Ian Happ, but still I don't need to see pitchers hit the other day. Kyle Hendricks, the Cubs best pitcher was uh, hitting against the Padres. I have the play here. Here's what happened. And then I could re- I can give you the reaction from. Uh, David Ross after it happened. But here's what happened with Kyle Hendricks against the Padres. Hendricks lines one to right. Go go, 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 go. to first base, and Kyle is going to be safe at first. Is everyone okay? 
Well, landed a little awkwardly. He and uh, Cronenworth bumped bodies. Thank goodness Kyle is okay. I just it. it here's what David. Here's here's sorry. Here's what David Ross said. Um, talk about getting sick over not having universal DH. I think I threw up in my mask there for a second. His heart skipped a beat. David Ross said after he saw that happen. The manager of the Cubs was worried that his best pitcher was going to get hurt, getting thrown out on a single to right field and colliding with Jake Cronenworth at first base. These uh. guys do not need to bat. I don't need to see them collectively hit 128 again like they like pitchers did in 2019. I, give me a DH that hits 200. I don't care. At least he's hitting 200 and doing. So, he's getting paid to do a job. Pitchers don't care about hitting. The, I know there's extreme outliers like Zach Granke and Madison Bumgarner who – Granky's a way better hitter than Bumgarner. You know what? I'm so tired of that. I am so tired of that. Masson Bumgarner's career as a hitter is we act like the guy. We act like I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it up here. It's not. It's he's under 200 career hitter, but uh, yeah, we act like he could hit. He he could be a legitimate. Okay, slow down. All right, Madison Bumgarner. We act like this guy is the next coming of a great power hitter. Let's go to his pitching. Where is his postseason pitching? He's a beast in the postseason. Uh, He's a 177 career hitter. Now, every once in a while, he runs into it. He's got 19 home runs in 12 years. But still, his OPS is 532. How much would you pay a DH that hits 177 with a career 532 OPS. The answer is you wouldn't. Yeah. And someone argued with me on Twitter once. There's a couple, like last week, I, I said something about, someone was commenting about uh, Bumgarner hitting, and they were like, why can't he be like Shohei Otani? I'm like, because Otani's a generational talent when it comes to, to uh. hitting. Bumgarner, he goes, but Bumgarner can hit. I'm like, no, he can't. Just because he has 19 home runs, he doesn't hit all the time. It's great. I'm not taking anything away from him as a hitter, but it's not his job. Otani can hit and legitimately pitch. He's the second – he's the best athlete we've seen in baseball probably doing that since Babe Ruth, and he can do it. Look at him in spring training. He's killing the ball. I don't see Bumgarner out there killing the ball. He's getting uh, – he's giving up home runs to Jed Lowry right-handed in spring training. So – and it's good to see Jed hit a home run, but we'll get to Bumgarner later because uh, John Smoltz thinks that – uh. Thinks Bumgarner's going to lead the old the old snakes and wins this year. I'm going to have to disagree with the Hall of Famer. Later. Oh God, he had two, he had two years where he had two fifty eight, two forty seven. Other than that, you're looking at one seventy nine, one nineteen, one sixty two, one oh seven, one eighty six. I mean, these are stop with the pitchers hitting. I just it just that, that's I'm sorry to be I'm, I'm maybe I need to maybe I need a timeout. Because I'm just irritated today. You're, you're uh, clearly upset about Ohio State losing to Oral Roberts. That's why you're so upset. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I know Ohio State. <laughs> now I'm, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be dead honest with you. Ever since I left ninety five seven the game, I only watch what I want to watch now. Okay. So there are really three sports that I watch. I watch baseball. I watch football and I watch golf. I'm not big NBA. I had, I haven't watched one college basketball game this year. I didn't see any of the tournament today either. I've not watched one college basketball game. 
I'll watch some Warriors. I'll watch some Sharks. But I'm not watching other hockey games. I'm really not watching any NBA anymore. Because now I just get paid to talk baseball. So it's baseball is the job. Baseball is my passion. Baseball is my first love. But I do love me some pro and college football. And then I love golf. Now, a lot of you may go, golf, I know. I play golf. I love watching golf. But you need to understand, you National League people, that at every level in baseball, they use the DH. Every level. High school has it. Junior college has it. College has it. All through the minor leagues, they have it. No pitchers hit in the minor leagues. The only league that does not have the DH is the National League. And Cody could bring you stats all day long telling you how bad pitchers are versus DHs. And why would you risk this precious commodity, your starting pitchers? Why would you put them up there? I understand the National League's been doing this for a long time. What, what, what was it, 73 that the DH came in? Yeah, the A's were the first team to use it. Um, uh, was it Billy North was the first DH? No, no, sorry. He was the first A's DH. The first DH was a, was a Yankee. Can't remember his name now. We talked about it before. But the first A's yeah, DH was right. Billy North. I just, it just makes sense. Why would you, why would you put, and that, and that, you want to talk about lengthening games. I mean, you're putting up the you're putting up there a guy that's going to strike out more times than not, and so many times they got him bunning anyway. It's just like, what are we doing here? Well, you asked, and I had it saved already because I I used it for the thing I mentioned. I I did the 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 panel with Jack Zarenzik, the former manager's GM, and I had this ready for him whenever we talked about the DH, and he agreed with me about how he you know he's he wants to see the DH too. Pitchers in 2019, 128 batting average. A 162 slugging percentage. I mean, that's not very good. A negative 18 weighted runs created plus, and they struck out 44% of the time they were up. So ha- almost half the time a pitcher went up there to the bat, they struck out. I don't need to see that. I see enough strikeouts as it is already. I don't need to just add on more to it. Like today with Zach Davies, he, I was listening to the game on Ace Cast, obviously. I, I didn't get a chance to watch it. I, I might have been on Marquee, the Cubs network. Um, he just w- literally stood there and watched pitches go by. He's not going to swing the bat. And David Ross is probably telling him not to swing the bat because that's what happened to uh, Kyle Hendricks the other day. He's probably like, for the love of God, please don't get hurt. We don't want a situation yeah. where you get hurt running down the first baseline. Dude, how, how ridiculous is it whenever we're going to play interleague play and all of a sudden A's, A's pitchers now have to start taking BP? Man, who, who, who wants to see American League pitchers who never hit, who never take BP, all of a sudden you're going to put, you're, you're putting them in harm's way. You're now going to ask guys that never run the bases, that d- never get up there, and you're going to put them up there? That's dangerous. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has not, and that's why you see the American League pitchers get up there and they hardly do anything. Like, as you said, You'll see him take three strikes. Like, if, if they even put the ball in play, they're not going to bust it down the line because they normally don't bust it down the line. What do you want them to do, blow out their hammy? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because 
Carlos Carrasco, the Mets' new starting pitcher they got from the Indians, yep. is an American League guy. And I read the other day he's coming back from a, an elbow issue, and he was throwing batting practice, and after he was, they were doing conditioning drills, and he got hurt. Why is Carrasco running? It does not matter. I mean, I guess you guys want to stay in shape, but he's not going to be running the base pass. The score runs for you. So why is he running? Like, do light conditioning. I don't need to see Mario Rivera shagging fly balls and tearing his ACL out in center field. The greatest closer of all time ripped up his knee shagging fly balls. Like, I get it. You want to you be – like, it's fun and all that, but when, when, when you get hurt, it's a whole different story. Remember Max Scherzer bunting a ball off his face and breaking his nose? <laughs> I mean, come on. What are we doing? That is a great, that's a great example. Yeah. What are we doing here when you're when, – when arguably – Top three pitchers in the league is busting up his face because he was up there bunting. Like, come on, man. And yeah, that Mariano Rivera, Mariano Rivera, his whole career went out and shagged like he was like a real outfielder. And then, and people thought it was cute. And it was cute until he ripped up his knee. Then it wasn't so cute. Yeah. And there's, there was one other example I was, uh, that I had when we were, we were just talking about it. And it just slipped my mind after talking about Scherzer. Uh, it'll come back to me. It, it just, it, it just. Oh, about the DH. If you have the universal DH, guys like Ryan Braun and Yoenis Cespedes, people, players that people want to see playing this year, would have a job right now. If we weren't having worrying about pitchers hitting in spring training and potentially getting hurt, I mean, it could still happen. The universal DH could still happen in the, you know, the, the twenty third hour going into opening day, like it did last year. But everything I've read and heard, it doesn't sound like it's going to happen. Unfortunately. Yeah. And, and- and it's all because of negotiations. It's 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 not about it's not about what's best for the game. It's but you know what? How many times is baseball's in its own world, man? They don't get it. They really don't get it. It's like last year; they had the ability to be the first one out of the gate. They had the ability to be the first league to get her going, and the excitement that would have brought. And what do they do? They fight over money. It wasn't about COVID. That's what certain, you know, what what certain sports have done, like the NFL, college football. What what did the SEC say? What did what did the NFL say? They said we're playing our season. We're playing. We're going to play through the pandemic, and they did. It made every other sport kind of have to, you know, what are you going to do? How are you not going to play if they played? I mean, they set the example. If somebody got it, you pulled them out and put somebody else in. You know, baseball played 60 games. It's a, it's abbreviated. Isn't it abbreviated uh, NBA and NHL this year? 72 for the NBA and 56 for the NHL. Yeah. and But but you're looking around going, wait a minute. Football, that's the ultimate contact sport. They played the, They played the full season all the way through the Super Bowl. Why are you playing an abbreviated schedule? And that's, I, I, you know, I'm not privy to this kind of information. It's above our pay grade. But you, you saw the, you saw a major league baseball player say, hey, man, it's in the CBA. We play 162. Don't give me 154 or 120 or whatever. We're playing 162. And, oh, by the way, the NFL just played a full schedule. You don't have a leg to stand on, and that's why we're playing the full schedule. You know, I'm, I'm going as far as, as to say, and this is really big for me to say this, 
I would trade the I would trade banning the shift for the universal DH. Whoa! And that's I that's Whoa, hot take. I, I because I want it's better it's better for the game. You're you're eliminating the idea of the shift, which is slowing down the game to a lot of people, and you're adding more intrigue by having another guy in the lineup that's going to probably do a lot more than pitchers would. And I'm not again taking away what kind of athletes pitchers are because, as we said before. In high school and college, they're probably one of the best athletes on their team, if not the best athlete. But when it comes to Major League Baseball, they're not paid to swing the bat. They're paid to get guys out with their arm. So let's pay the players to DH and get the runs in or score the runs or hit home runs and let the guys just focus on pitching, not running conditioning drills and and ripping up their hamstrings. I think you're coming around on the shift. I think you're, you're. I think you're finally realizing um, what may be better for the game. No, and I am, and it's true. And and uh, you know, you know who's not a fan. I heard this the other day, and I was a little disappointed here at first. But then, you know, I'm not gonna. I can't go against him. The guy wins. Uh, Bob Melvin, not a big fan of the four man outfield. Uh, when I listened to his pregame Zoom call the other day, they were asking about the shifts and stuff, and you know how that's going to the minor leagues. And he's like, you know, four man outfields. I'm not really a fan of that stuff. And I'm thinking like, oh, Bob. I thought I thought you I thought you like it, but apparently not. I mean, because the A's are like in 2020, the A's were the they shifted the least in the American League, and and here they are as they were one of the best teams in baseball last year, winning the AL West. So the teams that shift a lot, they win, but that's not always the case because we saw like teams like the Orioles and stuff shifted a lot last year, and they and they stunk. So shifting used to help, like when the Pirates raised it and it helped them get to the postseason because it helped your defense. But if you're shifting and you have a bad defense, I mean, you're not going to win. So. As as teams that shifted a lot showed you last year, and teams that were good, like the A's that didn't shift that much, still made the playoffs and won the division. I I I I hate to say get rid of it because I am a believer that you should be able to put guys wherever you want to put them, however you want to run your defense. If you want to put everybody in the outfield but one guy, you should be able to do it. You should, I mean, hitters should, hitters should adjust. The fact is they just don't for the most part. And, you know, let's, let's face it. You're, you're, you're not getting paid to get bunt base hits. You're Matt Olson. You're getting paid to hit the ball of the ballpark. That's what's going to make you the money. You know, no one, no one anymore is making the major leagues because they're good bunters. So that's where, okay, maybe I got to go against my best judgment and say get rid of the shift because it, it's it's making the game boring. Like it, it just, it, 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 you know, every single time Marcus Simeon was out in right field, I know I always use this as the example, and you hit a ball out to him, and then now you got to write 6-3, and he's actually playing outfield. He's not playing infield. If it's what's better for the game, if it what makes the game more exciting, I think it was Francisco Lindor who said, if you got rid of it, it allows the infielders to show more athleticism and great plays. Yeah, it was Lindor. He told that to Tom Verducci, actually. I mean, it's it's a it's it's a it's a good point because right now, I mean, if you grew up playing baseball. Everybody told you to have an up-the-middle approach. Hit the ball up the middle. Well, now there's a guy standing there. 
I mean, there's still some ways you could get around it, right? I mean, once the ball's in play, you know, a shortstop can go across the middle, get the ball, turn around, throw to first, and he's on the second base side. You'd still have to allow for that. It's just what we're talking about here is where you would position. You can't, if you're a shortstop, you know, you can't move Marcus Simeon and Matt Chapman, you know, can't do it. And then I also like the idea spikes on the dirt. That's going to, that's just going to bring more action into the game. I think you're coming around, Cody. Hey, you know, I am, and you're right. And the one play that you always use the Marcus Simeon in right field, I will always use the Manny Machado catching a ball in right field on, on foul territory against the wall as the third baseman uh, in the shift is one of my favorite plays I'll never, ever forget in Texas. I, I, it's just going to make the game more exciting. And, you know, as someone that is – I'm, I'm a fan of I, – I don't mind home runs, and, and I like seeing pitchers get strikeouts, but then at the same time I don't like seeing hitters strike out. So it's, it's kind of a uh, – it kind of cancel each other out. And walks are great because they – what do they do? Get on base. Yeah, when I point at you, that, mean, that means that you can speak. Um, yeah, they get on base. So, but yeah, that's great. But if you're not scoring runs and no one can drive you in, it doesn't matter. So I, I'd like to see a guy like Billy Hamilton have a job again because he's a great base stealer. These kind of, I want to see that excitement back. I want the Vince Coleman's, the Ricky Henderson's, the Terrence Long's, the guys that steal bases and that's, it made the game exciting. Not, I'm going to get on base and, you know, maybe go for an extra, you know, maybe 28% of the time I'll go for the extra bag, but most of the time I'll just stay at first because I don't want to get thrown out at second. So guys, guys, if you don't look at your reports, I'm going to go to Pete again. <laughs> Pete, yep, Pete, what does he do? He gets on base. I just, I just love that he's Pete in the movie. It's not even his real name. <laughs> it's funny that guy. Yeah, not, no, why, why, why didn't they use Paul D. Podesta? I don't think I don't know. I, I don't know if it was something. Did you like, not sign off on it or something? It, I think it might have been something along those lines. And think about it this way. That guy's not running a playoff playoff bound football team. Cleveland Browns. 20 years later, the Brownies are back in the playoffs, and Paul's one of the guys leading the way for him. And there's our guy, Bip Roberts, all-star. You see him on A's pre- and post-game live on NBC Sports California. Bipster, how are you? Hey, hey, man. I'm doing great. Happy to be alive and breathing some fresh air and sitting on the couch relaxing. <laughs> you know, we were, we were just talking about Mitch Moreland and how he loves mm-hmm. it at the Coliseum. And the, there's just certain places that you see the ball well, you feel good there. And I mentioned one of the most odd ones was Jeff Bagwell loved to hit at Candlestick Park. No matter how miserable, how cold, tell us how bad it was to play at Candlestick Park. <laughs> Candlestick Park was like two seasons in one. Like batting practice, batting practice we took it in the summertime. But then when the game started, we were in wintertime. It was just it was just extreme. And so you just had to stay mentally focused on the game, knowing that, you know what, if I could just go up here warm, I could get off a good swing. Or if I'm in the outfield, keep moving around because the wind is hitting hard. But it's tough. Once that sun goes down in San Francisco, the weather totally changes on you. So you got to be prepared for that. And you've seen some of the greatest outfielders look silly playing outfield <laughs> because of the wind at Candlestick Park. Oh, the ball goes up, and if it's in between you, and I was being left field sometime, and the center field, I remember me and Joe Carter, 
I was telling Joe, if, if, if the ball goes up, make sure you come over here because eventually it's coming to you anyway. So, you know, we'd always have to communicate, looking at each other. Where are you? Are you in? Are you back? And so it just became one of those things where every pitch I was looking over at Joe Carter like, man, you know what? I, I, I'm tired of looking over there at you, man. This is crazy. I can't wait to play a day game here. Was, was there a ballpark? that you went to an opposing ballpark that you went, I'm licking my chops. I just, I, I can't wait to hit at this place. You know, you're going to think this is ironic, but I remember facing the Montreal Expos when they had Pedro and Dennis Martinez and Facero and all those guys. And I used to look forward to going to Montreal for some reason. It just felt like once you got in the box that it was just open season. Like it was, it seemed like it was so vast that, you didn't see the infielders or the outfielders. It was just hit ball and it would drop in there for a hit. And I just loved hitting there. It, it was just, it was one of those places where, and it, it, any place out you go, Tony, and you get hit, you felt great about it. But Montreal was up there. And I think that Chicago uh, playing the Cubs or the White Sox, that one was high up on my list too. Either Chicago team, they had pitchers who threw the ball right in the zone. And, and you know, when you get balls in the zone and you don't miss them, you get a lot of hits. The great commander Cody has your batting average in Montreal, I think, which is a great example because there's a lot of people that hated old Olympic Stadium that thought it was a dump, just like Jeff Bagwell <laughs> hitting a candlestick. You know, the hitters ballparks, sometimes they're not always your favorite. Do you know what you hit in Montreal? I don't. I just know that I would get some hits there. Montreal was always a good trip. <laughs> uh, you're a – you were a 365 hitter in Montreal. Yeah, yeah, that was fun, man. I, it was always some hits there. I don't know. I, I didn't know it was, you know, that high of an average there, you know, especially when you're facing that type of pitching. But I knew I had some really good games there. That's one that, when you ask me that, it jumps off at the top of my head. I don't know exactly what, you know, what Wrigley was or over there at Comiskey, but, you know, I, I know I had some pretty good games over there against the White Sox, but. It was always fun. Any place you get hit, Tony, that's one of your favorite places. <laughs> the food tastes better. The hotel's better. Everything's better in that city. Everything's better in that city. That's right. <laughs> okay, so I want your opinion on this. In Class A, they're going to do pickoff limits for pitchers. As a base stealer, if you knew the pitcher had pickoff limits with you on base, how would you take advantage of that? Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm getting an extra large lead the first time to draw him over. I'm getting another lead where maybe I short and I take off and make him throw back over there. I'm getting one where I'm, I'm juking him and with one foot trying to get him to throw. And now I know if he can't go over, now I'm going to get a huge lead. There's no way in the world you're going to throw me out. There's no way in the world. Yeah, I, I'm thinking like, Ricky Henderson, Vince Coleman, Tim Raines, Maury Wills. You think about all the great base stealers. Like, it'd be crazy. But you know what? Those guys have not been in the game. Guys like you haven't been in the game. Maybe a rule like this at the minor league level. I don't think you can do it at the major league level. But maybe this will promote base stealers again. I hope so, because that it seems like a lost art. You know, and I hate to go back to hey, when we played, but – when we played, we had guys on every team running. Every team had a running game. I mean, when you start looking at it, you go back in those, those late 80s and early 90s, you see guys up there with 
at least 40 bags. You know, the leaders had 88, Marquise Grissom and Vince Coleman and Jimmy Reigns, and, and the list goes on and on. Of course, Ricky and those guys, but every team had guys that could run. The Cardinals had seven guys that could run. Montreal yeah. had eight guys that could run. You know, the Cubs had guys that could run with Sandberg and, and Sean Dustin and those guys. We had guys that run, Roberto Alomar, myself. And so we had guys all over the entire league, Brett Butler. I mean, every team had guys who could run. You know, it was just a matter of when they were going to go. But they were going to go. And now you look at it now and guys come up and, and they think 10 bags is a great season. We're laughing like, really? 10 bags, that's a great season. Mm, mm. And, and, and guys don't even run. So, you know, hopefully this will develop the game that used to be where you saw a lot of guys who were athletic and they could still second and third and get there with no outs and get a run in, score over 100 runs. But it made the game more exciting to see guys being able to steal bases. You knew guys were going to go, but there was nothing you could do about it. So hopefully down in the minor leagues, there's some speed, there's some guys who understand that, hey, if I get to second base and there's no outs, you know, I can score on a ground ball to second and a fly ball to center field without a hit. But I think it's just where in the minor leagues, you have to hone in that skill. The very first guy I ever saw in the minor leagues that I played against was Vince Coleman. And he stole second, he stole third, and he was trying to steal home, only it was a foul ball. So, you know, these guys used to run wild in the minor league. <laughs> Larger bases in AAA. How much will how much do you think that will affect it? <laughs> you know, I, tell me, I don't know, man. This is all some new stuff. You're talking I, about having bases as large as pillows out there where you can just <laughs> step on it without stepping on the third baseman's foot or getting tripped. You don't even have to come close to him now, right? And, and so I, I don't know. Where do, how, do you set, how do you set up these bases and then the ball hit down the line and it goes across the big fat part of the base? I, it, it just, I have to see these things. I can imagine what it looks like, but to play in a game with an extra large base, and, you know, you have it at first, you have it at third, and you hook a ball and it goes over the base only because it was 10 feet bigger than it used to be. I mean, I don't know, County. That's how large are these bases? <laughs> I, I can't remember, but they are going to be bigger. And I, I just wonder how many times will we see balls hit bases more than ever before. I want to see it. Right. I just want to see how it works. May like it, may not. Uh, we start right. to have cuts, right, at spring training. At some point, you're going to start moving guys out. Guys are going to go back to AAA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's far different without having all the minor leaguers there. But just talk about AAA, what it's like for a young guy, a guy in his prime and an older guy trying to hang on. Yeah. Young guy. He's getting there thinking that this is the last step before I get to the big leagues. The guy in the middle is trying to hold on to his job because that young guy is coming to move him out. And the guy who's in there, he's just saying, you know what? I got to bide my time because I'm going to get another shot. So everybody has a different mentality, but you all have to come together in that triple A because you still have to play games together. But everyone is different. You know, when that young guy first gets there, he just believes he's only going to be there for until he gets that phone call. You know, and that guy in the middle, he's trying to hang on just until the end of the season. And maybe he gets the call up or maybe he becomes a free agent. But And that other guy who's been there, he's just wondering how long is he going to be there? You know, it's almost some of the guys are fill-ins or fill-ins into that roster to make sure that AAA is, is of, of the quality it should be. But then there are guys who are coming up there who we know when they get there are going to the big leagues. And i just give you an example. The AAA team I played on in 88, we had seven guys go to the big leagues. And some of those guys weren't even on the roster 
at the beginning of the season, such as myself. I wasn't even on the roster. I had to earn that. I thought I was going to be a free agent moving on after the season, but I had a great year and they brought me back up. Some of the guys who were on the roster, they didn't have a great season and they didn't come to the big league. So they were disappointed. And then you had guys like Roberto Alomar, who was only there for like seven days and he went to the big leagues. The young guys, they, they come there ready to move on. For some of us, we have to earn our way back to the big league. So it's different for everybody. Everybody has their own program that they're on. But if you can, if you can have results and, and you can turn some heads back towards you, then maybe as an older guy, you get a shot. But you only get that one shot. You know, you only get that one shot. Because if you don't get that one shot, you're probably a AAA for four or five years as a fill-in player. And then at some point in time, they're going to ask you to move on. You know, when you got to see Roberto Alomar, I mean, did you know right away, like, this guy's different, this guy's special? Oh, man. His first game in AAA, I think he had a, a grand slam. I think the second game, he had a three-run homer. And he made this play that was just crazy going up the middle, sliding and jumping up and throwing the ball to first. And everybody looked and said, he won't be here tomorrow. And I believe in less than 10 days, he was already in the big leagues, and Joey Carr had come back down to AAA. <laughs> it was amazing to see this kid with so much talent, and he could do things that I had never seen before. Joe Morgan was the greatest second baseman I ever seen. Robbie came through, and he started doing some things that I had never seen when he would catch the ball while sliding and come up and throw. I had never seen that ever before until Robbie Alomar. You know, Chris Bassett said spring training could change forever. And I kind of agree with him. There's a mm-hmm. lot of there's a lot of time where there's people standing around and you know it's 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 busy work and people think the longer you stay out there, the harder you're working. But now, you know, with less guys in camp and the big leaguers really playing just against each other for the most part, you know, they're getting their work done and they're getting out of there. I mean, could 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 this be a change where all clubs realize, you know what, less is more? Yeah, I like it. I like less is more because, as you say, you can get your work in. And instead of having, you know, 300 guys that you have to make sure and get their work in that day, you're talking about maybe 45. And so it makes it easier to control that environment and to give guys the opportunity to get better day in and day out. You know, because sometimes when you say, hey, guys, you're going to stay after you got 14, 15 guys stand after. And now the guy who's going to throw BP is going, really? Like, really? How am I going to throw to 15 guys? But if it's just the major league guys there, maybe you ask four or five guys to come out. And now you get quality work. So you got to learn. And I believe they're learning to work smarter than work harder. You know, you can stay out there for 15 hours. Doesn't mean you're going to get better. Especially if your feet hurt, your lower back is killing you. And every time you take a swing, you need to go in and get some ice because you've been out there too long. You know, you've depleted all your nutri- nutrients and you need to get some food and keep moving forward. And because it's, so, it's not as many people, now you can get in and get out at a reasonable time. And guys that have a day off, now they can get some, some real quality work and then, you know, get off the field and get home and rest. But you don't have to worry about, well, you know, I got 75 guys in camp. And I got to make sure everybody gets their work in. That's a tough thing to do. And so you, you give coaches a lot of credit for, 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 for putting in the time with these guys, but they put in time. They get there at six o'clock in the morning, some earlier, and they don't get out at five o'clock that day. And they've done everything physical. So you know they're worn out, but they have to come back the next day. This allows them to at least catch their breath 
when they go home and be able to actually relax because they're not having a report on 75 guys. What did you see in this guy today? Well, I don't know. What, what number is he? Number 755. Oh, I don't know what number 755 <laughs> did today. I didn't see him. I was sleeping over the corner. You know, I was tired. So I think everybody has a rejuvenation of energy each day they get up in the morning. And if there's something that needs to be done, there's not 30 guys in the club, uh, in the training room. There's only six or seven. And so you can get your work in and get out. So I like it this way. Yeah, why not stagger it? You know, if you have the time and it works on the schedule, stagger it so that everybody can get the same sort of treatment when they get there. You get your work in, you get off, you take care of everything off the field. And then the next day, it's just the same. It's not, you know, 75 here today and then three go down and 10 go down and seven go down. No. You know what's going to happen if those guys do go down, they'll stagger into the next level with the AAA guys. And then if they go down even further, they'll stagger in with the next guys. But they'll always be with their guys. So they'll get that quality work. Bip, I'll never forget this. Last year, A's Dodgers, I'm down the left field line. I'm eating and I'm watching the game. And the Dodgers had the bases loaded. Two of the guys were wearing number 88. The other guy was wearing 89. (laughs) <laughs> right. Hey, 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 Tony, when I first got with the Pirates, I was number like 62 my first year camp. And I and I remember we were playing the Royals on a 10 o'clock game. And I of course, you know, I'm running and, and I'm with like Parker and Stargell and these guys. And all of a sudden, Hal McCray comes over from Kansas City and he sees my number. He goes, well, we know who's going down first. And I went, oh, my God. I won't be here much longer, I guess. <laughs> and what, what were you, an offensive lineman with the number 62? <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, I guess he's right. And I think I was maybe 18 or 19. And I'm really thinking I'm going to make the team. But your numbers dictate where you're going and how long you're going to be here. So when, when Chuck Tatter cut me, I was in there crying. And he was like, what are you crying for? I was like, I want to make this team. He was like, he just started laughing. He's like, Really? <laughs> Yeah, I want to make this team, but I was going back to A ball where I should be, so it was okay with me. Well, the thing too, you know, I feel so bad for the minor leaguers, Bip. It's been 18 months since they played in games. I, 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 I don't know what the mentality is like for these guys. I mean, they think they know when they're going to start, but nothing set in concrete. I mean, just like, what advice would you give to these minor leaguers? Well, all you can do is control what you can control they don't they can't control anything that's going on around them but they have to be ready and so i would be really thinking about getting myself prepared for whatever season's possible and trying to get me five to six hundred at bats and see how much i can grow in one season because that's all you can really do when you play that's the only way you can get better you can't get better sitting at home 18 months and i know it's very difficult if you haven't played in 18 months live action against pitching that is of course major league or you know professional it's going to be tough to get back into that so you know i don't want to give anybody a pass because they they don't want to accept the pass they want to do as best as they can but none of us have ever gone through that so how can we expect them to come out and be the player they were they were 18 months ago if they haven't played so i think it's a disadvantage to these kids and i think it's unfair but none of us you know we didn't I mean, we didn't know what COVID-19 was. We didn't know that was going to show up one day on, on, on the schedule. And so now they have to find a way to deal with it. Are, is there going to be an leniency if a guy comes back and he was a, a considered a great prospect and he struggles? Or 
is that going to affect him and maybe he loses his job? It's, it's a lot of stuff in there that's, that's, again, uncontrollable and it's unfair, but it's a part of the game. You know, this is a game of results. You've got to find a way to get your job done. So if you can, if you can get into a season and get you 500 at bat, you will get better. You will get that rust off of you. And you will start to get to the point where you feel like, okay, I have that confidence back, even though I felt coming into the season that I had lost something maybe. But I think that if you can just get a full season in and not have any stoppages, you can get that rhythm back. And then now you have that muscle memory to carry you forward. Well, and think about this. Everybody's minor league system is affected the same, right? So it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be the same. I, I don't think they really know how it's going to work out, Bip. I really, I don't. You know, there, there's no blueprint to, to how, how do you run your organization when it can't can't play for. I mean, by the time they probably play, it's probably going to be around 20 months. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's where coaching comes in. You know, a lot of these guys who are coaches have a lot of experience and they know a lot of drills that can keep your hand-eye coordination sharp. And they know exactly certain type of drills that can allow you to make solid contact. You know, these guys that are teaching that launch angle, I think, you know, you might have to kind of scratch that a little bit and learn how to swing down on the ball, keep the ball on the ground hit the ball, keep it in play. Because if you're coming back after 20 months and you got a launch angle, you're striking out 45 times in two weeks, you're not going to be around very long. So I think they have to get back to the basics of what Pepper used to be. Remember how we used to play Pepper? Yes, you know, every I think day. They have to, yeah, I think they need to get back to drills like that so that guys can get those extra swings on the sidelines before they get there and start their batting practice and start games. I think you have to go back to the basics of what baseball is. See ball, hit ball, play Pepper. Do the little things that the guys from the old school used to do. And I think those guys showed us the way. They were pretty good ball players. They didn't have all this extra stuff. They just fundamentally were sound and understood the basics. And I think that's where you start from. And if you can advance from that, then you take the next step. But you want to make sure that your basics are covered. Your fundamentals are sound. You can use the opposite field. You can hit the ball hard on the ground. And when you learn that, now you can change your swing a little bit according to what you see and how you feel that day. But if you're trying to swing up with this 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 angle, launch angle, and and you're swinging at pitches that you can't hit, you may not be around that much longer because guys are going to be more consistent and understanding. I need to just put the ball in play in order to have the proper results I need. On your way out, promote your real estate. Oh yeah, I'm doing that in Terrell right now. I'm working on this project, Uncuffed, which is uh, working on grants to actually house the homeless. So it's a large grant that we're working on right now. And we're going to try to get the homeless off the streets. We're going to try to get those who are transitioning from prison into transitional homes. We're going to try to get the ladies who have nowhere to go. We're going to try to get them home. Then we're going to try to get the veterans in places where they should be. So it's a large project that we're working on at Intero. But our goal is to make sure that those who are on the streets right now have a roof over their head. I can't wait to see you in a suit on television. <laughs> it's coming, buddy. It's coming. We got our schedules. You'll see me soon. I can't wait to see you, man. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's It's been too long, my friend. Be safe, <laughs> be safe and we'll talk soon. Right, you take care of yourself and you be safe. Take care of that family. John Shea, Chris Townsend, how are you? Well, hi there. How are you, Chris? Man, it's been a while. I miss you. Yeah, where you been? I'm at the ballpark. How come you're not here? <laughs> I'm not allowed. 
<laughs> oh, you can, you can, if you want to, you can go. Believe me. You know, it was uh, last year they 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 wanted me and my crew out uh, just treat every game like a road game. So uh, I th- we'll be big, we'll be back out there this year, and really looking forward to it. You know, the last game that the last official game we've been to was the wild card game between Oakland and Tampa. What year was that? Gosh, that was a long time ago. Two thousand nineteen. <laughs> How crazy is that? Wow. Yeah, I remember that year. That was uh, that was a good year. Uh, people were uh, walking around freely without uh, any masks, and uh, life life was good. But uh, hey, we'll get through this, right? Yeah, I mean, no doubt we're going to get through it. Just for you, as someone who's covered this game for a long time, just being a part of this spring training, just I, I, everything in our lives has been bizarre. But you know, for our industry and and what you're going through with spring training, how bizarre has it been for you? Well, the unfortunate thing is the lack of access and the lack of, you know, up close personal conversation and relationships that uh, generate, you know, good copy and, you know, stories that, you know, might not be told otherwise. Now, you know, we do the best we can. The teams do the best they can with the Zooms and everything. But slowly, team by team, they're starting to, allow interviews in person in other words maybe six or ten feet away in the front row of the stands hours before a game you know and before the gates open so slowly but surely maybe we're returning to normalcy but it's going to be a long time before we ever get back to where we were but still you know we do the best we can we tell the stories that readers would fans would like to like to see uh you know whether it's you know the, the the comeback of Chapman and the comeback of Lowry, which is fascinating, and and all the other things that uh, you know the rotation news, the bullpen, the the offense, the defense. You know Melvin is really good, one of the best at communicating with the media, with the with the beat writers and the scribes and everybody who follows the team on a daily basis. So for that, we're blessed. You know, I think about uh, the piece that you've done with Logan Davidson and all the switch hitters I've covered. It fascinates me because people don't realize that you have to work on your right-handed swing and your left-handed swing equally. So you have double the work of a normal hitter. Now you have the advantage of being a switch hitter, but the amount of work, whether I've talked to Jed about it, Mm-hmm. Rob Grossman, Bip Roberts. It is such a grind and so tough to do. When you went into this article with Logan and his father, you know, you know, just just talk about what you learn about switch hitting, and it's really an art form. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for uh, allowing me to address that. You know, I, a few years ago, I talked to Jed Lowry about this. We talked forever about, uh, you know, the unusual thing about Jed is that if you notice, he wears those minor league helmets with the flaps on both sides, you know, which is, you know, Hey, he's comfortable in his skin. A lot of these guys, you know, it's like shooting free throws left-handed. They don't think it's cool. They only have the flap on one side, but Jed said, I don't give a darn. I don't want to lug around two helmets, one for each side that I'm going to go up there. And so he wears the double flap helmet, you know, which, you know, you wore in little league. And, uh, (laughs) but anyway, what he said, I remember was with the shift, He's wondering whether it's even an advantage anymore. 
Lowry told me this years ago because he, as a left-hander, used to hit balls in the right field that would drop for base hits, and now the rover is catching them. You don't see the shifts for a right-handed batter because it's a longer throw. Your second baseman, uh, you know, the shortstop can't go out in left center field and expect to throw out anybody. So uh, advantage right-handers, right? But now with the shift, he says, well, why do guys even become switch hitters? But it's a great story with Logan Davidson, their first-round pick a couple years ago, because his dad played in the major league six years with the Twins and Astros. He played on that 87 World Series championship team in Minnesota. Now he was a BRTR. That's right, throws right, right. And he said, "Hey, I'm not gonna have my kid, uh, you know, face what I faced." In other words, he could only pinch hit against lefties. They wouldn't put him in there against righties. So if he turns his kid into a switch hitter, then hey, he can bat against anybody. I mean, who knows? Who who knew that he was going to be a first round pick and you know a, a great pro prospect, but it goes back to a further generation. It wasn't just Mark Davidson, the father. It was Max Davidson, a minor leaguer for nearly a decade, uh, mostly in the New York Giants system. And, and he threw right like all of the, all of the, uh, all, everyone in the family does, but he batted left. So, so uh, Mark Davidson, uh, you know, his, his funny quote is, you know, we finally got it right. The generation finally you know, we you know, figured out how what, what to do. Just just raise a switch hitter, so we wouldn't have to go, you know, right or left. But you know, now if hey, if this kid makes the majors, if he can, you know, uh, you know, be productive on both sides of the ball, he could play. You know, full games. He doesn't have to platoon. Uh, you know, that's a long way away, obviously, because the kid hasn't played hardly any minor league ball because, uh, you know, there was no minor league ball last year. Well, when you think of the great ones, where you're talking like Mickey Mantle or Eddie Murray or Chipper Jones, uh, San Jose State's own Ken Caminetti, who won an MVP, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's very rare to have the great success as a switch hitter. And you mentioned Jed. And if Jed is healthy, the one thing we do know, when he plays for the A's, he stays healthy and he's an extra base hit machine. What do you think that would mean to this lineup if Jed can be Jed again? Well, that, uh, it's it's a uh, it's a big ask because he's basically sat for two years uh, with different injuries, mostly the knee, and he had surgery back in October. And well, whether that is going to be the fix-all, who knows? He is up there in age, and he's not the best defender. He's capable, but what he provides in the second hole, and when he was here, you know, a lot in the third hole. Uh, last time, you know, he, his best years have been at Oakland. So like he said, I'm coming home. Uh, this is the first time I think he actually signed here. The other two times they traded for him. Uh, so he, he was here whether he liked it or not. But he enjoyed his time and he was successful and the A's know, know how to use him. And you, know, you remember Marcus, whenever they would shift to the right, Jed never moved. It was always Marcus who moved from short all the way to right field yes. because he was the guy who had the range, right, and the arm and everything. They let Jed just be Jed. You stay there, get anything near you. But offensively is where it's going to be a difference. You know, if he can get on base, and he does, then that top of the lineup is pretty impressive. John, I got to tell you, that's one thing that's been a pet peeve of mine. So you put, you know, Marcus is basically rover in right field, and a person grounds out to him, and I have to score that 6-3. There's mm-hmm. just nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. 
Yeah, I saw a four to one today where it was it was a ground ball to right field and the pitcher covered because the first baseman tried for it as well and uh pitcher got over there and it was four to one. But it you know, it was it was a hundred and fifty foot ground ball. So it's just odd what we're seeing. I mean, uh I, I was at the Giants today and I saw a pitcher start the first inning and the second inning, but he was taken out two outs into the second uh, first inning. So <laughs> You know, you can re-enter, you know, like like you like you can in basketball, right, or football. You know, yeah. everything. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, in in some softball uh, leagues, in, in girls softball, women's softball, you, you know, certain certain re-enter rules, but little league. Anyway, uh, it's just odd seeing games rolled over, innings rolled over, games ending after seven. You know, tie games. Um, it, it's like you know what these tickets in spring training aren't any cheaper. And I commend Bob Melvin because he is one of the few managers who refuses to roll over an inning. In other words, well, my pitcher threw 25 pitches, the inning is over. No, no, no. He'll, he'll, he'll just call someone in from the bullpen. Some kid will make his day, make his spring. Let me get the third out. Okay. And what Melvin does, he doesn't roll it over because he said, hey, fans pay a lot of money and they want to see baseball end after three outs. I got to give it to him. I'm so glad you said that. And the business of baseball uh, will bore people. So I don't go into it too much, but spring training's big business and people down there have been saying, Oh, we kind of like how it's going this year. You know, it's like, wait a minute. You got to have a lot of games to justify all the, all the ticket prices and everything. So there's some people say spring training could change forever. Okay, players may say that. They might like less, but I'm not sure Arizona and all the counties and all the money and the stadiums and everything that they've done now there, that they're going to be cool with that. No, I, I was at a game today. The attendance was 2,095, and the PA guy said, that's a COVID capacity sellout. And I said, what? COVID capacity sellout? <laughs> you know, the, the place seats ten or 12,000, but... Obviously, it's limited, but I never heard, you know, I, I'm learning all about baseball. I never knew this stuff was happening, but, uh, you know, rolling over innings, uh, you know, the shift, uh, it, it's a different world, man. But, uh, you know, you adjust and move on. But you're right. Um, these, you know, the, the community here in Arizona, they rely on spring training big time. And if you ever rent a car at the Phoenix airport, you realize just how how much money you got to spend to rent a car at that Phoenix airport. Cause the taxes are jacked up so that, you know, all the ballparks and the diamondbacks main ballpark are paid for by, by tourists. So here, here's a, here's a little piece of advice. If you ever uh, fly into Phoenix, don't rent a car there. Just take an Uber or a cab or somewhere into Scottsdale and, and find a rental there. Cause it'll be half the price. But uh, so that's how they do it. They jack up the taxes for the hotels. They jack up the taxes, uh, you know, for for rental cars uh, to pay for all these ballparks. Because, you know, I mean, I I remember a time in the late 80s, early 90s when the uh, the Cactus League, it was they were threatening to just all move to Florida. And I mean, they were down to just a few teams. And, uh, you know, luckily um, they figured out a way to, to keep them all. And sweetheart deals with all these ballparks and now it's exactly 15 in arizona 15 in florida so it's so it's nice i mean uh, can you imagine if only 
Only Florida had spring training teams. Oh God, I can't even imagine. That would be horrible. Um, when you think about gaining confidence, sometimes you got to be successful and fail in the end for you to finally get over the hurdle. And that's where I think of the A's two straight years, 97 wins last year, win the division. They projected they would have won 97 again. The confidence has really grown inside that clubhouse with the young players getting older. How do you view the A's as a world series contender in 2021? Right. Uh, A's Padres world series, right? Um, wow. I mean, that, that's possible. I mean, it's, the A's have been knocking on the door for so long. You just wonder when they're just going to bust it open and, and, and say, you know, here we are. Because Chapman and Olsen are not going to be here forever. They're not going to sign these long-term contracts. They're no closer to a ballpark where they would say, okay, those revenues are going to pay for these long-term contracts. I mean, until further notice, nobody is going to stay here beyond six years, right? So with that reality known, the time is now. I mean, the rotation is in place. I mean, I've seen these guys the last few days, and they look pretty good. I'm talking about uh, Montas and Bassett and Manaya and Luzardo. Obviously, Fires isn't going to be ready for the opener. We can bet on that because, uh, shoot, he's having cortisone shots and MRIs and you know, hip inflammation, all this stuff. So I imagine A.J. Puck, who also hasn't appeared in a game yet, but is supposed to in the next couple of few days, you know, he'll be the fifth guy, I imagine, because they have 10 straight games out of the gate. They do not have an off day where uh, they only need four starters. They will need five. So, um, you know, two times around. So, but, you know, hey, it, it's going to be fun to watch and, uh, if Lowry can figure out a way to stay healthy and be able to play four five times a week, it's it's going to be a very intriguing look uh, because you know the uh, in about three days they rebuilt the bullpen right before spring training and they have the rotation and the back end of the uh, pen. You know if if Rosenthal is okay, you know, and we haven't really seen him, then then it's money. I mean, they, 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 what, what do they lack? I mean, they can defend, they can, they can run a little bit. They, they're athletic. Um, they can pitch, uh, you know, they, they got some pop in the, in the middle of the lineup and boy, that buddy Reed guy is fun to watch every day. It's a highlight film with that guy, that catch he made yesterday up against the wall at four, 400 feet away in front of the batter's eye. That was darn impressive. And I, I talked to him after that. Um, had a little 10-minute conversation, and I like that guy. He's very confident, and he might be coming quickly. I mean, who who wouldn't want a guy who with, with that speed, he's got pop, he defends, and the guy's 6'4". I mean, he can really do it all. He's, he's fun to watch, but the thing is, is he going to be able to hit at that level? You know, at the – what point was it? Richard Justice came on our program – and he told us it was right at the end of spring training before they stopped. And then before, you know, then after was summer camp where he said in Houston Astros camp, they were done. They were done talking about the scandal. They didn't want to talk about it. They were miserable. And obviously the Astros caught fire, not having fans help them. Now they're going to have to deal with fans. 
And that's the thing I think about from the A standpoint. And the very first series is going to be in Oakland with fans. How do you think this finally affects this Astros team? You know, fans do not let it go. Fans will not let it go. Uh, Oakland fans especially. I imagine it's going to be rushed for the Astros to come in. Um, You know, we both love Dusty Baker and what he's done in his career, playing career, managing career. Uh, but that's almost a no-win situation. If he could turn that team into a winner, and he did last year, give him credit. I mean, that's a Hall of Fame manager. I think he's a Hall of Famer anyway, as is. But I, I just set out a little tweet on fires the other day, you know, who obviously, you know, the report in The Athletic, and he, 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 he told his story. And from that, you know, we all know now that, the Astros cheated on their way to that World Series title. But I, I wrote a little piece on, on fires, you know, a few, few sentences on Twitter about how, um, you know, he's got the ha- hip in the back and he's got an MRI coming up here. And I, I had like 100 Astros fans just ripping him, saying, oh, you don't want to see the Astros. But I said, give me a break. I mean, you ever have an MRI? You just don't have an MRI because you want to miss the Astros. You know, there's something wrong with you. Uh, you know, it's, it's serious stuff. And I was kind of disappointed with uh, the fan base in Houston because that's, that's a pretty low blow, um, suggesting somebody's making up an injury just so he'll, uh, you know, miss pitching against them early in the season. But, hey, you know, fans on both sides, A's and Astros, they don't forget that. The A's uh, kind of feel robbed and the Astros, you know, feel like, uh, you know, they deserve to win. But obviously, you know, we know better, right? Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, are are your Aztecs ready for uh, Syracuse? Boy, that's uh, number six versus number 11. That's going to be fun. They won 14 in a row. What do you think? Sweet 16 at least? I can't believe Syracuse is still going with the 2-3 zone. I know. <laughs> that's like CYO. You know, let's go to the 2-3, maybe a 1-2-2, two, two, box and one, triangle and two. Let's get them. I just I'm like how are they still doing this? It's it's 2021. They're still running the same thing over and over again. Hey, John, it's, it's always hilarious. it's always a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait to see you. Yeah, anytime. First time since 19. Let's do it. Take care, buddy. See you, Chris. It literally is the coolest handle maybe in all of sports. The pitching ninja. Rob, how are you? It's been a while. I am doing great. How are you? And 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 like I hope I can live up to that because uh, I'm kind of boring. I'm boring. My name's no, good. You're not. No, you're not. I'm telling you <laughs> right. You. And since we're able to do video, I'm looking at your hat. It's the the ninja mask inside of baseball. I mean, not only are what you're doing and helping pitchers, but your merchandise is fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, man. Like this, I love this hat. That I, right now it's the white camo I'm rocking. It's uh, it's pretty sweet. It's a sweet hat. Yeah, you go to the website, and uh, whenever you put them up there, uh, for everybody out there, if you love hats, shirts, you name it, he's got it on his website. And, and you know, I got to think just the fun that you have helping pitchers of really of all ages, what has that been like for you? Dude, it is absolutely amazing. Like, I did not start out – I mean, I started out, like, coaching kids and stuff, and then I have, like, MLB – you, Darvish, got a pitch from, from me in DMs, like, and he shouted me out, like – I don't know how, like, it's, it's sick. It's fantastic. It's awesome. Well, yeah. I mean, you think of guys on our staff, Jesus Lazardo, Jake Diekman, these are guys that have come to you. 
Oh yeah, um, absolutely. And, and I mean, Deekman's awesome. Like he that slider that he added. Um, so he just out of the blue asked for it and picked it up in no time, and it became like this unhittable pitch. Um, and he he is nasty, man. And Lazardo is the man. Like I love that dude. He's great. So how did you start? I mean, I know you're working with kids, but it's now it's like you're like a pitch. You're a pitching specialist for Major League Baseball. I'm a pitching ninja. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like it just started. You know, I, I was doing it mostly to help high school kids, help help kids coming up, and then started with then college, and then all of a sudden I start getting MLB guys re- reaching out because they like the stuff. Like I think I think they don't want to go to their teams and and be told what to do sometimes. And they like to bounce ideas off people and they like to discover things themselves. And I'm neutral. Like I will help anybody. I don't care. You know, I'm a fan of pitchers. I'm not a fan of any team. So I just like watching pitchers succeed. And when I get a shout out, I love it. Like it's, it's awesome. There's nothing better than a, a pitcher learning something from you and giving you a shout out. Why do you think they, they they don't want to go to their pitching coaches? You know, I think it's a bunch of things. So a lot of times they'll be told, oh, no, no, we got this. You don't need that. We'll look at the analytics. This is what – but pitchers have to own their career. So what you see now is everybody's with a team for only a short period of time. And, you know, they may be with a different team during the season, during the same season. So they know that they need to they need to expand their arsenal themselves – they can't rely necessarily only on their coaches. Um, sometimes, you know, the coaches force them down one path. They want to go down another path. And sometimes teams use this stuff against them, like in arbitration and other stuff. So the teams hoard some of the analytics, the good stuff for themselves. And pitchers just need to control their own career. Yeah, I think I, I think that works for all professional athletes. It's like, you know, it, it's you who's going to last. You know, they're, they're going to treat you. And I hate to say it, they're going to treat you like me. And you get, like you said, one day you're here, the next day you're in Texas or you're in Florida or you're, you don't know where you're going to go. So you've got to own it. I, I think that's a great point. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. Like you just, you need to, and the other thing is when you learn something, like if somebody's telling you something, you don't learn it as well as if you figure it out yourself. So if you're doing the research and you're trying to figure out all these little things, then you really learn it. If somebody's trying to tell you how to do something, a lot of times it's blah, 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 blah. And they're owning it. You need to own it because it, it, it actually, it's like more deeper learning when you do it. You know, back years ago in the early nineties, when I was playing college baseball, when you developed a new pitch, it was really about your grip and you play a lot of catch with it and you'd figure it out. But now with all the video and everything that you guys are doing, what is the key to developing and finding that new pitch? Ooh, that is a that is a really good question because it really depends on the pitcher. So some guys are very vis- visual learners. So they want to see like slow-mo, how the ball's coming off their hand with like edutronic cameras or something. And they like watching video of people explaining their grips and watching how that ball, the spin axis of it. Others learn through analytics. So they'll look at, Rapsodo, Trackman, Hawkeye, and see what their pitches are doing and say, oh, I can manipulate it this way and, you know, whatever. And, and then others will look at hitters and, you know, see what, how hitters are reacting and say, you know, they're sitting on the, they know they can eliminate one pitch. They're sitting on, on my off speed. I need something else out of that same tunnel that goes an opposite way. So it's really a variety of different things. And, you know, it's a great question because it really depends on the pitcher. 
Yeah, because, you know, the tough thing about pitching versus hitting, I can go into a cage and take a million hacks. I only got so many throws off a mound. So that's the tough thing is people don't realize is that pitchers don't have the time that hitters have because of the injury factor. I totally agree. And that's why you'll see. So every time you interview a pitcher, a lot of times you do, you'll end up seeing them with a baseball in their hand. And, and sometimes it's like a, uh, I think Tyler Glassnow said it was like a fidget spinner for, for pitchers, but also they're feeling the ball and feeling what feels good in their hands and coming up with different grips. Like they'll be sitting on the couch and going, I wonder if I threw this. And so mentally you have to have mental reps. You're right. Because if you, you can't throw everything. Um, so you have to think about it and visualize a lot of this stuff. And that's where it comes from. And you have to wonder as a pitcher, what ball are we playing with? Are we playing with the juice ball? I got a couple here in my office. I mean, these things have no seams. I mean, it's, 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 and they're talking about the dead and ball. So I, I checked in, I guess they are using the dead and ball, at least in Arizona. I don't know about Florida, but I mean, as a pitcher, you don't know which ball you're playing with. Totally right. And, and a lot of times, so, you know, these aren't done. They're, they're, they're sewn in different ways. So you may pick up a ball. I've seen Garrett Cole do that. He'll feel a ball, feel the seams and go, yeah, I don't want this one and toss it. Um, you know, it just depends. Like it's, it's, it's either feel or sometimes it's how the ball is going to carry based on the seam. So absolutely. And I wonder what kind of confidence maybe some pitchers will get back this year. What do you think knowing that they're throwing a dead ball versus past couple of years, they've been throwing basically just a juiced ball. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's big. So pitchers with confidence, you know, no matter what you throw, you have to have total conviction in it. So if it makes a pitcher feel better about what they're throwing and they know that it's not going to go as far, they're going to be more dangerous because they're going to be able to, you know, just go back and, and, and try to throw something by somebody. They're going to make it nasty. They're going to think more about their craft versus, Hey, you know, what's going to happen. Be more tentative. I mean, if you, if you have conviction in your pitch, that's when you're at your best. You know, we've talked to a couple of players this spring that say they got too wrapped up into video. And one was Matt Olson, our first baseman, who's, who's outstanding, was like, I got in my own head. I mean, can, can, can it be too much for a player, too much data, too much when you start talking about Hawkeye, TrackMan? I know in golf, guys talk about they get so addicted to TrackMan. It's like some point you got to go out there and perform. Dude, dude, 100%. You will see pitchers, like some guys can handle it. Some guys can can compartmentalize it and put it into a part of their brain, and then they go out and they do stuff. Other guys, you'll see them be tentative, or they'll just focus on executing and guiding the ball a certain way, or they're thinking about their mechanics, or they're thinking about how the ball's releasing off their hands. And when you do that, you take out the athleticism and the competitiveness of the sport. I was trying to say, like the other day, Boxers don't sit there and and do analytics based on their punching. You know, they're going to sit there and go, what's my opponent doing? How do I counter this? You're a, a pitcher versus a hitter. A lot of times it's like that. You're in a cage match against that hitter. You have to pick up stuff on what that hitter's trying to do against you and defeat him. And you can't do that if you're thinking a bunch of things, analytics. How does my video look? What are the stats look? You got to compete, man. Well, Mike Tyson always said, everybody's got a game plan until you get hit in the face. That's one of the greatest quotes of all time, and that's totally true. Everybody's got a plan to get punched in the mouth. Yes, absolutely. That is totally right. I, I absolutely love that. Uh, what are the keys? And Because I think one of the things that we've gone down this road that 
these clubs, and if you want to get drafted, it's all about velocity. But that doesn't mean you're going to get people out. What is the key for young pitchers to get better? Well, the key, the biggest way that pitchers can get better when they're young is, is work on their body. So work on being an athlete and work on getting strong. If you do that, you're going to maximize your, your potential at least, and it'll help you throw harder, um, but also study the game. Like there is no excuse. And this is why I do this stuff. Everything I do is out there for free. You can go to my YouTube, YouTube channel. You can go to my Twitter account. You go to Instagram, TikTok, whatever the heck it is. There is no excuse not to work on your craft for free. You don't have to pay somebody for lessons. Just look at it. And, and there are major league pitchers that are showing you their grip, showing you the mental game, showing you their mechanics. And they're trying to pay the game forward. And if you're a player and you're not doing this stuff, then it's on you. Like you can't complain that you don't have money because this is a free. It's totally free. And how worried are you that these kids are throwing year around? They just don't take a break. Dude, it sucks. Like, there's a lot of pressure. Both parents put, like, as college gets more and more expensive, parents put more and more pressure on some way to defray costs. So they're like, this is my meal ticket. Now you're going to play baseball, and I'm not going to have to pay as much for college. Kids can get burnt out. They can be physically worn out. Um, it could lead to injury. If it's not fun for them, number one, they're not going to be good at it. So if you're making them do it, it's not good. But also they have to play other sports. Like like you learn something. I was talking to Tom House. I don't know if you know Tom, Tom House oh, yeah. is the – Yeah, yeah. So he, he said the reason why like Tom Brady and Drew Brees were great when they were older is because they played other sports. So they when they get older, they can borrow from other sports, golf, baseball, whatever it is. They can take those movements and that mental process – to bring it to their sport. Well, like when I was in high school, they encouraged us to play every sport. So I played football, then I go to basketball, and then I go to baseball. And the good thing about it, basketball, I because I played quarterback and I was a pitcher, basketball allowed me not to throw. It allowed my arm to heal. And I, I was and and now that I see these kids and they're travel ball and they're taking them all around the country and they're throwing every every single weekend and they're throwing all the time. I mean, no wonder there's more Tommy John surgeries than ever before. Totally. So like it's anything else is going to get worn out. You're going to get tired and then throw while you're tired and it, and it's and it's not good. The other thing is athletically, it's not good. like playing other sports is awesome. Like you probably took things that you did on a basketball court and said, I did this. I did this move on a basketball court. I wonder if I can maybe throw harder if I if I do something um, and you might not even consciously know you're doing it. But playing other sports lets your body be free. So this is an interesting thing, and this leads to exactly what you're saying. Um, I was talking to you, Darvish, and he said, I have two different mechanics. One is on flat ground. I throw totally differently than I throw on the mound. And it's for that exact reason. Really? That you're experimenting and feeling different things in your body that maybe you can bring, on, bring to the mound. Um, so playing different sports is the same thing. Well, that that's, you know, when we, when we had Tom House on, I'm like, I actually got a pitching lesson from him years ago. He's so and, good. Uh, he's the best. And I'm like, hey, I was that generation that bought your VHS tapes. <laughs> All that stuff that he had. There was that cardboard Nolan Ryan, you know, the workout of how to do the dumbbells and strengthen your shoulders. I had all that stuff. And Tom was really the first one that said, when you throw on flat ground, you're not hurting your arm, you're strengthening your arm. And really emphasize long toss 
which to me is one of the most important things for a pitcher. Totally. It, 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 it helps you strengthen your arm. It helps you be more athletic. So the key, like I tell kids play shortstop if you're going to play baseball too, because you look at, I mean, DeGrom was an infielder. Look at him. You have guys that if you're constantly pitching, plus kids think that it's all about mechanics. You hear mechanics and you think of a robot. It's not about being a robot. It's about being athletic. And that's what long toss does. It teaches you to be athletic and to challenge yourself to throw further and use your body better, your whole body versus just your arm. So there's a lot of good things. And Tom House, Tom House is one of the, the great people in baseball. Great dude, nice guy, as knowledgeable as anything and humble as can be. So huge fan. You know, we've heard a lot about what's 2021 going to look like for pitchers. And a lot of people are afraid that pitchers aren't going to be able to give you 30 starts. They're not going to be able to give you over 200 innings. But then our pitching coach, Scott Emerson, who I think does a great job, goes, there's no data out there that says things should be different. If anything, these guys got kind of a rest. They didn't throw as many innings as before. We talked to Mike Fires about it. He thinks it's going to help him. What do you think 2021 is going to look like, especially for starters? I lean towards that mentality that that they're rested and ready to go. But you can be worried about like, I mean, the good thing is we're having a full spring training. So pitchers are able to to ramp up. You do worry like if if they took last year off, didn't do a lot. Um, it's t- you know, it's tough. You can't just go from zero to 60 because you're you're bound to break something. So you've got to ramp up correctly. I think most coaches understand that most major league guys do. I think they probably gave their pitchers, you know, good off-season workouts to make sure they're ramped up. Pitchers take control of that, but you're it is something to be conscious of. And I think I'm more worried about that in youth sports, actually. Like like kids that that couldn't play for a while and then they ramp up all of a sudden. And and you know how kids are like they're out on a field, they'll go hundred percent. And you you just can't do that. Like you may feel good, and then all of a sudden, boom, something gets hurt because you're not ramped up. Yeah, we're here in, in California, you know, look at football. These high school football kids, they're going to play maybe five games, maybe four games. Some have been canceled, and they're saying, okay, now it's going to be three. You know, when you don't have that full getting ready and you're going to play a regular football season, and now you're just going to play four games? Ugh. Yeah, like and I think it's worse. And, like, for me in baseball, that would be way worse. Like, if you're cutting the season short – Number one, people are going to ride their pitchers more. Like you're going to say, ah, oh, it's only a few games. So you go out there and cut loose and pitchers will think that. So not a big fan of, of, of that for, for pitchers and especially inexperienced ones. I major league, I think has a good handle on it. I've seen guys, you know, most guys have their acts together with all the technology and coaching out there. I think they get it, but I'd be more worried. Like if it was, if it was 15 years ago, I think we, you know, that, that would have been a mess. You know, let, let, let's end on this, and I'm really worried. Uh, you know, minor league baseball, we haven't played it in 18 months. And now what they're talking about is when they're finally going to start spring training, these guys haven't played in 20 months. And I don't think – I mean, we can have tentative dates all we want. I don't think we know when this thing's going to start. But I feel so bad for these kids that they're trying to live their dream and their dreams been taken away from them, and they still don't know exactly how it's going to go. Dude, it's the worst. I mean, you you said it exactly right. So you you're thinking about you're a baseball player. You grew up playing baseball. You you've you've sacrificed taking less money, doing all this stuff to for your love of the game. 
now you're caught in limbo. And I think, I mean, they're tinkering with rules. They're doing a whole bunch of things that, that to, and, and doing away with, with, with locations. Whereas to me, the best thing about, about baseball, minor league baseball is awesome. College baseball is awesome because it costs next to nothing. You can take kids there and the kids don't know the difference. So you're taking them to, to cool, watch cool guys play baseball. You, if you do away with that in towns and you're doing away with, with that experience for the athletes um, and you're robbing people of careers. I mean, I think that's, it's bad for the long-term success of the sport to me, like grow the sport by, by having inexpensive baseball that people can see and make it fun. Like minor league baseball is. Yeah. Cause right now I don't care what team you are. You really don't know how this is going to work for your minor league system. And this is your future. And you really have no idea. By the way, you talk about the rule changes. It'll be interesting to see how the electric strike zone changes pitching. Dude, <laughs> like it's going to be fans are going to go crazy because they're going to be pitches that are caught. Number one, it's going to change framing of pitches because it's irrelevant. Yeah. Um, number two, you're going to see pitches that barely touch the zone, like a Jake Diekman slider coming out, and it's going to touch the zone and it's going to be caught like in, you know, Timbuktu. And, and everybody's going to be like, that can't be a strike. And the hitters are going to be, that's never called a strike. And it's a strike. Like, I don't, it's going to change a lot, I think. Like, I think, like, if Randy Johnson had <laughs> with that crazy slider he had, I mean, can you, him with an electric strike zone, it'd be, you'd be unhittable. It would be unhittable. Like, the, the, that's what I'm talking about. Like, so the way Deakman comes at it, he's all the way on the other side of rubber, and he's throwing across his body, doing all like – same thing, Randy Johnson with that, like it would be, there's no way anybody can do anything. So yeah, it's, it's, that's crazy. I mean, just think of a wiffle ball when you used to put a, you know, a can back there and you hit it, right? It's the same thing. Well, you're fascinating, man. I, I got to tell you, it's, it's great having you on the program. It's a lot of fun talking pitching and, and, and what you're doing and helping so many pitchers. And I really think also from the youth level, I think that's, that's really that's very kind of you, everything that you're doing, trying to help these guys just get better. And as you said, it's free. It's out there. They can watch it. Totally, man. That's awesome. Hey, look out for that turkey sub that Lazardo's throwing, by the way. That uh, Yeah, that's going to be filthy, man. It's like a you know, upper 60s curveball thing that he's doing. I'm, I'm excited to see that. Well, you know, with him, uh, you know, the thing is everything's hard. He needed something, and, and his changeup's nasty. But you can see where hitters go, I'm not swinging at that. So to develop something else that's off speed, because so much of it is coming at you fastball, slider, everything's hard. You know, that's one thing that you try to tell people is that, you know, the hitting is timing. Pitching is about is about changing that timing that the hitter has totally and and you'll also see he changes his own his mechanics and messes with timing so you've got a guy that's messing with timing through his mechanics as well as throwing pitches that range like 30 plus miles an hour that's going to be fun to watch man i'm i'm looking forward to this season and i'm telling you people got to get your merchandise your your, your hat <laughs> is awesome thanks dude i can't I, wait till i do it A's one it's going to be sick you can't you can't keep that thing on the shelves. They they I sell can. off the bat. They do like, and I get yelled at, or like, why don't you make more? I'm like, I can only make so many. Like they're handmade. I can't do any more. But yeah, it's crazy. Are 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 you surprised how much you've blown up? Yeah, like I didn't do this. I I had no idea. This was never a plan of anything I wanted. I I thought about doing, but I'll tell you, it is so much fun. And if 
you know, if, if I can bring just a little bit more fun to the game and grow the game, and if people feel like having this merchandise or following an account or doing whatever makes them more invested in the game, then I think I, I paid it forward and helped the game grow. Cause that's all I want to do is help the game grow. That's what you guys are doing, helping the game grow. Okay. We're all, we're all in it together. You're having fun doing this. I'm having fun doing this. It's not about being boring. We've got to lift it up and, and let's, let's have fun. Well, we're going to promote you. We always appreciate your time. Thank you so much and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm here anytime you need me. Wash, it's been a while. How have you been this offseason and spring training? Well, been fine. Staying healthy, staying safe. And I've also uh, received both of my uh, COVID shots. So, you know, being an old man, um, you know, you got to protect yourself. So I protected myself, got it done. Yeah, there is no doubt about it. And, and it's one of the things I've, I've really appreciated around Major League Baseball is how they want to keep all you guys safe. That, that is, that's the main priority. Well, they did a tremendous job last year in the, you know, the abbreviated season. I mean, they did a tremendous job of keeping us safe. And we got the chance to play a season, although it was, uh, you know, one-third of a season, but it was a season. And then we had a lot of fun. And now we're in spring training preparing for a whole 162. And um, I know we're going to have just as much fun. Well, and I think about your guys' ball club. The Atlanta Braves last year went 35 and 25. A lot of people are predicting you guys to win the East. Uh, just another year stronger, another year of going to the playoffs and getting that experience. Talk about what you think about the Braves are going to be in 2021. Well, I think we we grown. Our young kids got a little bit more experience. And, um, you know, they're already good kids. They come to the ballpark with one thing on their mind, trying to be the best they can for each and every one of their teammates. And I don't see that changing. The way we're going about our business in spring training is as professional as can possibly get. And uh, we just can't wait till the bell rings if we can get between them lines and do what we do. That's play, that's play baseball. You know, Freddie Freeman is a special player. And maybe he's not the biggest superstar, not promoted enough, but just talk about how special he is. Well, you know, you, you would uh, grade superstars according to how they make people around him better. And uh, he makes each and every one of our guys around him, around him better along with his performance. Uh, he's a quality individual. He's real nice in the clubhouse. Um, he shows up every day with one thing in mind, as I mentioned earlier, to be the best that he can be for his teammates. And that rubs off. And, um, you know, our little second baseman is the same way, shortstop, third base. You go around the field. Uh, they're young. They learn how to win. And, um, you know, I, we don't expect anything else but them to go out there and put their best foot forward. And um, hopefully uh, we can come away each night um, feeling good about uh, what we did and um, get some victories. Yeah, you guys got so much good, quality, young talent. As you mentioned, Danby's outside, Ozzy. I mean, I mean Acuna Jr. I mean, when you think about Acuna Jr., who who would you compare him to? Who you played against? Because this kid is very special. Well, you know, he reminded me of uh, Kirby Puckett. Um, he plays the outfield with aggression. He runs the bases with aggression. Uh, he don't miss too many fastballs when you put him in the wrong spot. You don't miss too many off-speed pitches when you don't break it the way you want to break it. And um, he plays hard every single day. And, um, you know, he's committed to his teammates. And, you know, that's the one thing about the Braves that, that I found over here that, I, that, that we had in Oakland uh, during our years when we were winning is each and every one of these guys that 
makes this team or play for this team. They're committed to their teammates, and uh, it's hard to find that type of quality. But we have it, and that's why each and every year we go out there, the past the four years that I've been here anyway, uh, this is my fifth, that we go out there and we play good baseball, and um, we have an opportunity at the end, and that's what you play for. You know, Wash, you know, the bottom line is everybody wants to talk about you know, metrics and data and all this, you know, I mean, obviously it's changed the game of baseball, but if you're going to win at the highest level, the clubhouse has to be right. The players have to play for each other. The players got to want to win for each other. The players want to back each other and that there, there, there's no metric for that. You just, you, you can't create that. Just talk about how we've seen it in Oakland now for years. And with this group trying to go for us, trying to go to the playoffs four straight years, there's something about the chemistry inside the clubhouse that matters the most. Well, that's key. Um, you mentioned it and uh, what you mentioned and all the things that you talked about just, just now was that's what it takes to win. And at the major league level, that's what you want to do. You want to win. And the minor leagues, you're developing. So, you know, but at the major league level, it's about winning. And the qualities that it takes to win is everything that you described. And um, the Oakland A's has it. Uh, and they have a tremendous leader in Bob Melvin. We have it. Um, you know, we have a tremendous leader in, in, in Brian Snicker. And our players hold each other accountable, just like the guys in Oakland hold each other accountable. And I'm more than certain on other teams that win, that same chemistry is working. And um, those that are, are not winning consistently, they don't have that type of chemistry. No, they don't. And that's why I, I think the Atlanta Braves, your ball club, uh, is a club to beat in, in the NL East. I mean, what you've seen around spring training, who do you think was your biggest competition in the East? Well, the biggest competition is always going to be the New York Mets, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, the Washington Nationals, and now the Miami Marlins. So every team in the, in the NL East has an opportunity to come out on top. And that's strong. And, you know, that doesn't scare us because the game is played between the lines and it's played every single day at a level that these guys are capable of playing. And if we continue to play the game at the level that's necessary to play it, uh, we're going to be there in the end. But, uh, like I said, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Washington Nationals, um, the Miami Marlins, uh, the New York Mets, they are all strong. So it's going to be a fight. We just got to wait till the end of the year to see who is the king. But as of right now, everything goes through Atlanta because we are the National League East champions. You know, two guys that, that played for you are now Oakland A's, Elvis Andrews and Mitch Moreland. We just had Mitch on the program uh, the other day. Talk about those two guys, what, what they meant to you while you were the manager of the Texas Rangers. Number one, they're quality individuals. And number two, they are winners. Um, the Oakland A's made a, two good choices right there. Uh, both of those guys bring winning pedigree. Uh, Mitch Moreland uh, was fortunate enough to be in Boston and go to World Series. Elvis Andrews, we had him at 18 years old in Texas, and all he knew was winning except for the past few years. So, you know, in Oakland, um, they don't talk about it, but they, they be about it. And now uh, they just added two quality persons uh, to that team to help them uh, uh, to establish and continue that winning attitude and hopefully uh, give them another opportunity to, to handle the West. You know, that's, we interviewed Elvis right after the trade and really breaking down his career. You know, 42 playoff games he's been in. And you talk about being a winner and being a quality person. It's just what, what he's going to bring to this younger core. What, ex what exactly does he bring to this younger core of these Oakland Athletics? 
Well, one thing he does bring is he comes every day ready to go out there and play. And, um, you know, when you got any individual on your team that shows up every day ready to play, um, then it, it bodes for quality around the clubhouse. Um, you got Chapman at third base. We know he comes to play. You got Olsen at first base. He comes to play. You know, and then you can go completely around uh, the whole organization and you'll find out that they come to play. And that's the one quality that they always had in Oakland, even during my years there. Uh, those guys come to play. And as long as you come to play, you got an opportunity to accomplish the things that you set out to accomplish in spring training, be the last team standing at the end of the year. And I think they got an opportunity to do that. Not only does Elvis bring uh, a winning pedigree, um, this is a kid that can play. He can play. Um, Y'all had Marcus Simeon at shortstop who had to learn how to do it, and I think he became a quality shortstop. This guy is a natural shortstop, and he's very smart out there on the field, and he plays the game to win, and that's what everyone in Oakland does. And they, like I said, they're led by a pretty good leader in Bob Melvin. You know, what's shocking about Mitch Moreland, Ron, is how well he hits at the Coliseum. He has 22 career home runs against the A's. 15 of them came at the Coliseum. You know, there's just some guys that show up to a certain ballpark. It just fits their eye, and they just love hitting there. And that's Mitch Mullen. He definitely was known as the Oakland A killer, no doubt about it. <laughs> and um, once again, you know, you got Matt Olson at first base. Now Bob got a chance to spell him if he wants to here and there because Mitch, Mitch Moreland is a gold glove first baseman. And, you know, he gets big hits. So once again, um, we're talking about winners. Um, so uh, Dave Force did a good job of bringing in two character guys to go along with the character guys he have there. And I think you guys should enjoy a tremendous year again in Oakland. All right, let's end on this. You mentioned Marcus Simeon, and I, I know you guys are close. How do you think it's going to go for Marcus in Toronto playing second base? No, it's going to go well. Um, you know, it's, it's less work. Um, you know, maybe he have to learn to do a lot blindsided because the second base, you're going away from first and then have to come back to first. But uh, this kid is a tremendous student and um, any little quirks that he need to have fixed over there around second base, uh, Rivera makes sure that that's done. But as far as Marcus go, don't worry about Marcus. He's a quality individual and he will get it done without a doubt. Well, as long as you're with the Atlanta Braves, we're going to be fans of the Atlanta Braves, and we're going to be rooting for you guys because you know how much we appreciate you and uh, always what you've done for the Oakland A's and the Oakland A's family. Good luck there in Atlanta. I know we'll talk during the se during the season. Be well, be safe, and uh, good luck in your game tonight. No doubt about it, and thank you for having me on. Tom, have you been? It's been a while. It's great to have you on the show. I've been good. I'm really looking forward to opening day. Can't wait. I got to tell you, God bless you on writing the article you did on SI.com. I've been I've been fighting this for years, the crisis of how long baseball games are going. You know, when I'm leaving the Oakland Coliseum and not getting home to like 1, 1 30 in the morning, I mean, seriously, we need to change things up. <laughs> yeah, I feel your pain. But for me, it's more of what happens during the game than when you're leaving, because I, I can withstand a three and a half hour game as long as it moves quickly and it's entertaining. Right. It's the games that have just so much dead time in between pitches that last three and a half hours. So the perception of action just isn't there in the way the game is played today. So this is a problem. Baseball has, you know, kicked the can down the road for years and years and years. I, I realized that 
sort of the back and forth between MLB and the Players Association. It's very transactional. It's about winning negotiations and, and small battles to win. I mean, this is the big war that baseball has to fight. And I mean, I say baseball, I mean, both the players and the owners to get it right and to make a change. Well, you, yeah, like in your article, like in the very beginning, when you talk about how in 26 minutes there were only two balls put in play, you're like, this is a major problem. It is. And, you know, I'd like to say that was an anomaly, but it's not. I mean, this is what happens when we get this three true outcome game, walk, strikeouts, home runs. And the way that both pitching and hitting have developed, the game is predicated on the home run. The pitchers are pitching now not to weak contact. They want to avoid contact altogether. So that's why you see a lot more 3-2 counts. You see more walks because the pitcher figures, you know what, I'm still going to spin my breaking ball in a so-called fastball count, what it used to be that way, and challenge guys. Because at least if I walk a guy, it's not a home run. And I can just strike out the next guy. And the batter's up there thinking, you know what, I get paid for slugs. I don't get paid now for a batting average, certainly, or even on base percentage. It's about changing the game with one swing. So, you know, both sides now are playing this power game where it's, it's avoiding the home run. And, you know, home runs are great. I think we all like home runs. But they happen really quickly and they're over really quickly. I always say the best thing about baseball are rallies. You know, you can get into it. You can see the anticipation build. You see runners on base. You see motion. You have anticipation. You know, there's nothing like a three or four hit rally to score two or three runs. You know, two walks and a home run, you know, the old Earl Weaver way of playing baseball. You know, that will win you games, but I don't think it wins you many fans. How much do you think the dead ball is going to change things? Well, so far, it's hard to really judge by spring training because you're playing, you know, in Arizona and Florida, mostly in the daytime, minor league ballparks. It tends to be warmer with more wind. So, But so far, it hasn't made much of a difference. I haven't detected any. The players haven't really talked about it. Uh, the idea of it, I'm all about. And I'd like to say it's less lively, not deader. <laughs> Because if we get to a point now where, you know, say the seven, eight, nine guys in the batting order can no longer hit the ball out to the opposite field on cue, and now they have to find a way to put the ball in play, that's good for the game. I mean, we need a diversity of styles in the game. We can't have all 30 teams playing by the same kind of style of baseball. So I think the idea behind it is good. You always worry about unintended consequences. What does it mean for the pitchers and their ability to spin the ball? I've heard some pitchers say maybe the seams are a little bit higher, so maybe that that means better breaking balls. Um, Because you have to realize, as much as we talk about velocity, and yeah, velocity has gone up, but it's really plateaued in recent years. And pitchers are actually throwing fewer fastballs than they ever have. The number's been going down. We're closer now to what we are at a 50-50 game. You're going to see 50% fastballs, 50% other. And the ability to spin the baseball now is really is what's driving batting average to go down and down, not so much velocity. Because hitters are so good, man. They can time a jet engine. So it's not just velocity. To me, it's mostly about spin. So if you make the ball a little bit less lively, and yet now pitchers now can spin the ball better, <laughs> you may have more strikeouts. So always be aware of unintended consequences. But I do at least like the theory behind it. Tom, isn't that crazy, the fact that you got more guys ever in the history of the game since we've been covering this game who can throw over 100 miles an hour, but yet they're throwing less fastballs? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. And part of this is because the information tells you that an average slider is harder to hit than 
a 95 plus fastball. I mean, think about that. And so if you're a pitcher and you, and most of these bullpen guys coming out of the bullpen now, these are not the old, you know, sink or slider guys you saw back in the day or come in and try to get a ground ball. These guys pretty much fastball slider, power fastball, power slider. And the power slider is the toughest pitch to hit in baseball. So they're going to throw that more often. And again, you're talking about pitchers coming in now who are trying to get swings and misses, right? That's why you see the two-seam fastball sort of disappearing in the game because that's built to, you know, move the ball off the barrel of the bat to get a ground ball, weak contact, either on the handle or on the end of the bat. But the, the, the fastball, four-seam fastball up, the slider down, those are two pitches that really traffic and getting swings and misses. So we have just a crazy number of swings and misses besides strikeouts in the game. And and that's boring. I mean, we all know that, right? I mean, we all sit there and wait for a ball to be put in play so we can see action. That's what's missing in the game. If, if, if there's a way, and if it's the baseball or something, if there's a way to get more contact in the game, more balls in play at a quicker rate, sign me up. You know, something that's always drove me nuts was, you know, Marcus Simeon being in right field and a ground ball goes to him. And I got to mark that down to six, three in my scorebook. This <laughs> just isn't right. Uh, where are you on the shifting, limiting shifting? Uh, how do you feel about that in the game? Yeah, I'm at the point now, and I wasn't this way originally uh, because I, I'm really generally not in favor of extreme changes, but I think we're at the point where we do need extreme changes. So I'm all about changing the, the defensive metrics or the defensive governors, will you, if you will, so that you have two, um, two players on each side of the base in the infield. That's it. So, you know, you can shade over it towards the middle, but as you mentioned, you got a guy in short right field and he's catching a, a one hop bullet, 225 feet from home plate. And the hitter makes a right turn back to the dugout for a hundred years. That's the hit. You know, it's like Francisco Lindor told me the game incentivizes failure. Anyway, it's a tough game to play. And we're seeing that with pitching now, especially with all the pitching changes, you know, you're seeing three different pitches, pitchers to take four at bats a night and why are we incentivizing failure even more by taking hits away you know i go back to brian mccann was the first one who really started getting me thinking about this years ago his father was his coach growing up and you know trained in the cage in the backyard his father always told him hit the ball up the middle that's where you're going to get some hits well he's hitting the ball up the middle as a shift comes about and he's getting thrown out and when he's pulling the ball on the line to right field, he's getting thrown out. So then he starts trying to hit the ball over people's head. And when you do that, you're vulnerable to the strikeout and the swing and the miss. So if we can, again, incentivize hitters to do something other than hit the ball in the air, that's good for the game. Yeah, that would be very interesting when you say cleats got to be on the dirt and there's got to be two on each side. And let's face it, Tom, I mean, every other game – they constantly change. The NFL has changed. The NBA has changed. NHL has changed rules. I mean, we, we when you look at the other the other leagues, they have made changes to make their game more interesting. It's about time baseball does that. Hundred percent. And when they change those rules, it's always to me done with the fan in mind, right? You're trying to always balance the defense offense component in baseball. It's the run production and the run prevention balance. And you really, from time to time, have to do that. If, you, if you're if you of the school where leave the game alone, it self-corrects, hitters will adjust. You haven't been paying attention for the last eight years because these trends are locked in and it's only going in one direction. And we now have 
younger generation of hitters coming up, whether it's amateur ball or in the minor leagues, who are now copying, and this is how it happens, top down, they're copying, you know, the launch angle swing to try to hit the ball in the air. That's how players get paid, and that's where you can find some success in baseball, not by hitting the ball on the ground. So this is going to perpetuate if you don't do anything. So, yeah, I mean, the NFL, I mean, think about back in the day, the defensive back could jam you at the line and make contact from the first five to ten yards. You can't do that now. In the NBA, there was a period there we had zone defenses. You can't do that. I mean, this goes on all the time. Think about way back in the day when college basketball was so boring to watch before the shot clock was put in. The shot clock was put in not to take away intellect of the coaches because they were so smart. It was done to make the game more appealing to fans. So today, I think you have to tell teams, listen, we know by putting these defensive shifts in, you guys are doing a great job using this information. I mean, these things are, I mean, they're, they're so tailored to every particular pitcher and hitter. They work. I'm not going to dispute that. They've done a great job. But you have to back away from it and say, all right, you're doing a great job making this game more efficient, but you're making it less entertaining. We have to get the game back to where there is some entertainment value in how we decide what the style of the play is going to be and not just build it on efficiency. Let's end on this. You know, when I look at the AL West and looking from the national view and read everything that everybody's saying, you know, for the first time, the Astros are going to see fans for the first time and they're going to get hammered. I, I, I don't see any pitching going on with the Angels. The Rangers are re- in a rebuild. The Mariners are in the rebuild. You know, h- how do you view the A's and how do you view the ALS in 2021? I mean, the A's are definitely a contender in my book. I think they're a little bit underestimated, as they typically are by the national media. Um, I was a little bit worried about them, to be honest with you, early in the offseason, but I think they wound up doing a good job addressing their bullpen. And to me, they've got some young arms in that rotation that could have breakout seasons. You know, they're at the point in their development now where they can start pitching like aces and not just have ace stuff. I mean, that generally takes time. But I've changed the way I look at teams going into a season to look more at bullpen depth than starting pitching depth. Um, The Rays are a good example of that. I mean, the Rays this year might have 12 different pitchers who throw 100 innings. I mean, people are just dividing the workloads like the gig economy in baseball. They're just dividing the innings among more and more pitchers. So I look more at not thinking that, you know, Montes and Lazardo are going to carry 200 innings. That's not happening in today's game. So I look at how much coverage do you have in terms of inventory of arms and bullpen depth. And I think they wound up doing a pretty good job in the offseason covering that. Offensively, I think the A's are going to be much better. I got to believe that last year it was a kind of a fluke for Matt Olson. I think he worked on some things mechanically with a swing to get back. He's just a real good hitter. And there's so many guys last year who had bad years. I just kind of write off last year. And Chapman looks like he's Chapman again this year so far this spring. So the West is interesting because I think the wild card team, no pun intended, is the Angels. Because the Angels have a tremendous upside, and they also have, as usual, a downside. I think they have the widest range of wins. So a best-case scenario, I think the Angels could win the West. So I do look at it as those three teams there. Um, you give the A's the advantage because they've been the best team. But I think the one with the biggest upside are the Angels. Tom, it's always great to have you on the program. We truly appreciate it. Be well, be safe, and let's talk soon. Hey, sounds good. Thank you. Have a great season. Great news, Ray Fossey. You can get into the chicken pie shop at Walnut Creek and eat indoors now. (laughs) Did you do that on your birthday?
<laughs> no, I, I didn't make that happen, but uh, Contra Costa County made it happen. So good news. We can finally eat inside. Well, happy belated birthday. I didn't, uh, I, I saw that everybody was congratulating you on uh, living for another year. And I wanted to be part of that and say the same thing. So happy belated birthday. What is on Monday? Uh, yeah, it was on Monday. And, Foss, I can't believe it. This is the, my last year before I'm 50. I'm <laughs> like, wow. I wish I could say the same thing. But I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy to be where I am. And, uh, you know, I, I feel, and if there's a little bit of an echo, Kevin Kern, our great engineer down in the Valley, closed all the windows. So uh, there's, there's not much of an ambiance and I don't want to mess around with the windows. They may be locked or I may hurt myself opening them. I don't know. They're pretty, pretty heavy windows, but great to talk to you again. And uh, Cody, how you doing? I'm good, Ray. I'm only uh, 17 short years away from being 50. So I got plenty of time to look forward to my last year <laughs> before I'm 50. That's why you're talking about all those Gen Z's and ninjas and all those other things and the age groups that, uh, I know I don't know much about the county's getting there probably, but you're that age category when you've got all those uh, various uh, information as far as the various ages. But Tony, I feel like you because when you were at the Coliseum and you do the post-game show and you look out on the great Coliseum field and Clay Wood would be out working on the field, getting it ready. Well, Chad Huss down here is doing the same thing, getting it ready for Friday's game against the Cubs. The sprinklers are on the field. It's a beautiful day in the Valley. Finally, and let's hope for the remainder of spring training, it remains the same because it's been cold, it's been rainy, and snowing. So uh, just, wow. just not what you expect for spring training, but it, it's a lot better today. A's were victorious over the Kansas City Royals, and uh, another good day for the green and gold, except for the injuries that have occurred. But again, as we talked today on the broadcast, that if injuries are going to happen, you hope they happen in spring training or early in the season. And assuming there's a full season, the A's are what we expect playing in October. You want to have players healthy for October. And if it means there's some makes and pains and injuries that occur now, get through them and uh, get into postseason, stay healthy, and take it all to the house. I will never forget, and I don't, I don't remember what year it is. So I'm doing the show after the game uh, in, in, at Phoenix Muni, our old ballpark. Mm -hmm. And the storm came right over the ballpark and then went, I it just, it, it went right center field and kept going and it snowed. And I'm like, yeah. I'm in Arizona and it's snowing. And it was the first time it had snowed in Arizona in like 30 something years. And I remember we got done with the show. We went to the restaurant and the news is on and they're showing these pileups on the freeway because obviously <laughs> people in Arizona don't know how to, don't know, they don't know how to drive in snow. You know, it's funny that you say that because it, we it, actually there was a snowstorm here, I think right prior to spring training, and our grandsons, Matthew and, and Joseph, put on their snow gear, and they were out making snowballs and, and snowmen. And I said to our daughter, Nick, I said, what are they doing? Well, first of all, they got out of their, their Bermudas because in Arizona, it's kind of year-round, wear the short pants, and that's it. So I looked at them, I said, something looks different. And it was the fact they had long pants on, but they were in their snow gear and uh, ready to go skiing. But by the time they even did their little snow thing, the snow was melted. That's how quickly it goes. But they did rain badly in Arizona. They say they're in a 30-year drought. 
But as I look out over the field now, whatever water they're using here, unless it's reclaimed, they're using a lot to keep this grass nice and green. So, Ray, when you were playing in the 70s, what was the average time of games back then? Well, Tommy, you know, the, the thing about it, I know there's been conversation about the, the length of games and pace of games, and, and I can understand the pace. And, and what you were talking about with Tom Verducci's article coming out with uh, two balls put in play in the last 26 minutes, the one thing I don't think people understand, that during the regular season, 162 games, games are played rather quickly. But you get in the postseason – you, you think about a five-game series, in the case of the White Sox and A's, a three-game series, then you go five, then you go seven, then you go seven. I think there's so much emphasis put on not just every bat, every pitch that is thrown. Time is taken a lot longer because it, it is so calculated as to how they're going to get guys out. Now, I know it doesn't make it good. Uh, you know, when, when Charlie Finley, I think, was the first to start having night games in World Series, which for ratings, they were a lot better. But the problem now, let, let's say a World Series game, it starts at, what, 8.20 East Coast time. So if your kids are going to bed or you're getting up to go er, uh, to work, it's, most people we hope are, you know, by the time the game is over, you're talking at 1 or 2 in the morning on the East Coast. Now, for us on the West Coast, it's not a problem. But I, I think that's where it turns out to be a slower-paced game. Plus, realize that in between innings, there's longer commercial breaks because it's network. They don't pay a ton of money for October baseball postseason without having the commercial breaks in between each half inning. And I think there was an all-star game. They talked about um, the game being whatever it was. But, but at the time, there were three minutes be, for each half inning for commercial. So that's six minutes a game, uh, an inning. That's 54 minutes of commercial bre uh, breaks. So if you play the game in a relatively quick, let's say you play a two-hour game, you're still looking at time of game over three or close to three hours and beyond that if you get into postseason, which, you know, all the games seem to be longer. So I can understand what is going on. I can understand with the length of games. But I still think there are reasons other than the pace, and I think the pace is slowed down simply because, you know, like game six, that was an elimination game for the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, Blake Snell could have made it a lot quicker if he had not been taken out as he was, and, and Kevin Cash is probably still living with that now that Snell is with the San Diego Padres. But I, I still think that just because it's postseason that things do change. Now, when I played the postseason and we had them in the 70s, it was different because we went from winning our division, uh, playing somebody, and it happened to be the Orioles, played them in, in a five-game series, and you go to the World Series, and the World Series and baseball is over by October the 15th. And when you play quick games, because the pitchers threw strikes, it was a four-man rotation. And we've talked about before with the A's using only five pitchers in the 74 World Series, having only nine on the staff. Well, you, you think about the, the length of time that a starter is going to be in the game. And I think if you can eliminate the pitching changes, and that's why I think they went to the three-batter rule, so you try to eliminate some of the pitching changes that were made, lefty, righty, righty, lefty, you know, all those things you know, uh, situational type pitching and hitting, you know, that kind of changed a little bit with the three batter rule, but, but that in itself, and we were talking to Jake Hitmick today, that you come in and get the final out of an inning, that's considered your three batters because the inning is over. And if you come in to start an inning, you have to pitch the three batters minimum, and then, you know, it, it eliminates the pitching changes. But, you know, I, I still think Towning, 
it's a great game. And yes, the pace of game is something that probably needs to pick up because of the fans. But, you know, if let's say they went back to all day baseball for postseason, I think the ratings would be off the charts. I think people would, would be staying at home, watching them streaming, as you talked about, and doing different things to watch a game because they know it's not going to be midnight to two o'clock in the morning when the game is over and they have to get up and go to work. Or in the case of kids, they have to go to school. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my kids are, my, my kids don't stay up till 1030. There's no way. No. Like they, and they, most they, kids don't. Yeah. And that's, and that's the future of this game too, Tan, as you well know, that the future of this game, you know, the kids are playing little league baseball and, 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 and amateur baseball in high school and college and dreaming of playing in the big league. And then all of a sudden, you know, they say, well, we got to go to school and get our education, which I think they should. And they're not going to stay up and watch these games that are taking as long as they are. So I, I think there are a number of reasons, but they need to do something. And I just don't believe that no matter what is said and done, that it's going to speed up the games that much. Because if you do combine the commercial breaks being longer and you could, you also factor in how much each pitch uh, and each at bat is important in postseason. I think there's those, some things are never going to change. Well, my brother contacted his buddy with the Padres and his buddy with the Padres said they are using the dead and ball. Are, are you seeing a difference <laughs> at all in Arizona? Uh, no, <laughs> First, there's lighter air here. And, you know, uh, we were talking today about Dalton Jeffries and how he throws all of his pitches. And you're a pitcher. Can you imagine throwing all of your pitches without using a team? So, you know, wow. you're using the, the horseshoe or the leather on the baseball and, and not digging into the seam to be able to get a better grip or a curveball or whatever pitch it might be. Uh, that's unheard of. But, you know, some of the balls that have been hit here, uh, I don't care what kind of baseball they're using. Uh, the ball is flying. And, and I agree with you that once – see, spring training, whether it's in Florida or Arizona, you have warmer climates, you, you have bigger fields, but the ball travels so well. And that's why, for example, in Arizona, you're looking at – I'm looking at, at the field right now and straightaway center field. It's 411 feet to the center field wall. But then you have the batter's eye probably 40 feet high. You have to hit it over that to be a home run. And by the way, Shohei Otani did that yesterday, I think, in Tempe, with over the batter's eye. But, you know, you make solid contact and you have any power at all. Like Olsen hit an opposite field home run today. He was trying, I think, to go to the opposite field. It was a 2-2 pitch. And he hit it perfectly to left center. But the ball jumped off his bat. And now you get the Coliseum, and I think of Frank Thomas when he joined the club. I think of Matt Holliday when, when, when he joined the club from the Rockies. And both of those guys coming from evidently parks where the ball traveled much better. Because I remember when Frank hit a ball with the bases loaded, and he kind of Cadillac thinking he had had a grand slam. The ball stayed in the park. They got a double. And the guys on the bench were laughing at him saying, hey, Frank, big hurt. You're at the Coliseum. Ball doesn't carry that well. And the same with Matt Holliday, who, you know, played at Coors Field, Rockies. And, you know, he had a ball to right field. And, you know, he started Cadillac and thinking he hit it enough. The ball landed in front of the warning track. And, and he changed everything for him. So it's cooler weather. And, and any place you play starting the regular season in some of the parks, it's going to be cooler. The ball is not going to travel as much. And I know playing in Cleveland, I mean, county, <laughs> we were hoping – that it didn't snow for opening day. That's why they always have an off day after the home opener in case it rains or in some cases snows. We were talking today 
uh, about um, Bobby Witt, I think, pitched against Cal Eldred. Bobby Witt Jr. now is playing for the Royals, and Cal Eldred is their pitching coach. And I remember waking up in Milwaukee with Bill and Lon, and I looked out my window, and it was snowing, and there was, I mean, there was probably a foot of snow on the ground. I said, we're not going to play this game. They played, and Terry Steinbach hit a grand slam, and the A's ended up losing the game. Cal Eldred stayed in the game and gave up the slam to stay there long enough to win. So, you know, there's a case where, you know, you're playing in the cold weather after being in Arizona, and it, it affects your body because you're accustomed to playing in, in no sleeves and getting loose quickly, playing in beautiful sunshine and warm weather. Then all of a sudden you get on that airplane to start the season, and unless you're in a controlled environment in a dome stadium, you're playing outdoors where it's going to be cold in early April, in this case where it's April 1st. That's why it's the Coliseum and, and Angel Stadium, San Diego, Los Angeles, even San Francisco. If you're playing on the West Coast. These are warmer climates, and you're not talking about bad weather. And I think that's in some cases where those clubs can get off to good starts because they don't have to worry about rain outs or snow outs or cold weather. They're playing in good weather. And I think that is what makes them successful in most cases where they can get off to a good start. How, when's the last time we had a rain out? Well, it's been a long time. I know that because Clay Wood, I, he, you know – you have to play has such a small grounds crew and I joke with him whenever we're on the road, and I'll look out, for example, Comerica park. And I see you got 30 people holding a hose for one person watering the field. And I say, <laughs> Hey, Clay, take a look at this picture, you know? And, but you know, in, in Detroit, it rains a lot. Cleveland yeah. rains a lot, Chicago, Kansas city, but in Oakland, it doesn't rain that much. And uh, you, you know, you're talking about that storm that happened here. How about the 72 world series? I know you have, uh, is Dave Feldman on live with you? Uh, he'll be on at six. Okay, ask him about the 72 World Series, which that big cloud came over the Coliseum and dumped rain for the game against the A's and the Reds, and they canceled the game. Every place in the Bay Area was sunshine, except this big cloud right over the Coliseum, and it rained. They had to cancel the game. And the next thing you know, all this sun comes out. Or I remember uh, I was with Cleveland at the time. And I said, what's going on? Look at the sunshine, but not at the Coliseum. It dumped and it poured like crazy, and they ended up canceling the World Series game. But, but no, Tony, I think in general, um, I don't know if Clay Woods, they have a tarp down there. And, and you remember a few years ago, the A's had a game against the, uh, the Mariners. I know it was April the 4th because it was our anniversary. And uh, we go to the park. It's a beautiful day. And Clay had gone by the Doppler and said it wasn't going to rain. It dumped so much rain the night during before that game on April the 4th that the game had to be canceled because of an unplayable field. The place was, the, the infield was just all mud. And so ever since then, he's always put the tarp on the field after the game because he doesn't want to trust anybody. Uh, you, you're dealing with the wrong people when you're talking about rain because it, it can happen any time. And that particular time it did. But I got a chance to have a nice dinner with my wife on our anniversary and uh, when I called her and I said, I'm on my way, she said, wait a minute, the game's over already? I said, yeah, they canceled it. So that, that's how rare it is in the Bay Area. But, um, you know, by and large, when you schedule 81 games in the Coliseum, you're going to play 81 games because it's very rare that games are rained out. Uh, and, again, David, because he knows, Sully knows all that stuff, uh, he can tell you exactly how many and when and whatever. But uh, I just remember there have been a few, but not as many as I experienced playing back in Cleveland. Well, it looks like Cody says the last time we had a rainout was 2017. And then I think before that, 
It was like 13 years before we you had know, the seven, last one out, if I remember correctly. As Cody, Cody, is the 17th, was that on a uh, an April the 4th? It looks like the one that happened in 2017 was uh, closer to the – it was the middle of April. The one that happened in 2014 was April 4th. And then going back – Okay, so that was the, that was against the Mariners. And you know what, Townie, was, was hard about that? When I, I went into the city, our daughters had uh, uh, planned to have a, a hotel a, a night in the city and then dinner, and we stayed at the same hotel where the Mariners were. And the, the problem I had is that my wife, I introduced her to Felix Hernandez, who had a diamond in each ear bigger than my wife's wedding ring. And I went, oh, my gosh, why are you doing that to me, Felix? You know, but you know, I guess that's what $175 million would do when you when you sign a, a big contract, which he did. But uh, – but you know, it, it just—it's it, rare that it does happen, and and I think when you can avoid double headers by not having rainouts, I think that's really makes it nice from the player standpoint and the team standpoint. And if you only have to do it on the road, uh, you're talking about 81 games, and you're playing Toronto indoors, you're playing in Tampa Bay indoors, Houston has an indoor stadium, and those three just stand out to me as. Uh, the three that you never have to have a have to worry about a rain out in those three stadiums. Now Texas, Texas, Texas the, uh, the Rangers, yeah, Houston Rangers now both have uh, stadiums. So yeah, it's making it uh, more conducive to playing the games on schedule, which makes the team much better when that happens. I will never forget being in Detroit with you guys. It was the fourth game of the four game set, and all of a sudden, whoever's running the field. Call, says we we got to stop playing and there's like no rain yeah. like you're like what's going and like it was like five minutes later it started dumping and never stopped and we had to cancel the game uh and replay it uh replay the the end of the game but i'll never forget that foss we're like why are we not playing it's not raining and five minutes later uh the doppler did not lie but i'll tell you why because i remember that distinctly the head groundskeeper went over to the crew chief. And remember, the A's were ahead of that game playing the bottom of the fifth inning. And the crew chief was told by the head groundskeeper, once it starts to rain, it's going to start, it's going to rain hard. Well, all the players were standing on the field and saying, why are we not on the field? Why are they putting the tarp on the field? And all it took for the A's to get three outs and the game is over and they win the game. But because it did start, like you said, it never stopped. And that's why they had to cancel the game. But if they had played and not listened, well, you know, that's a smart head groundskeeper because she told the crew chief that it's going to rain knowing that the team was behind. And if they canceled the game, then they have a better chance maybe to make it up and do better. But no, I remember that. And, and I remember in New York, uh, there was a game also in Detroit when Joe Blanton was going to pitch against Verlander. And, uh, you know, the was going to rain and the Tigers did not want to waste Verlander starting the game and having to come out if they had to delay. They delayed the game, never rained, and finally it rained, and Verlander was out after the third inning or something like that. And if they'd played the game from the beginning, they would have got six or seven innings in and wouldn't have had to worry about it and ended up having this big delay in the middle. And there was another time in New York when uh, the late George Steinbrenner was there. Uh, he said, you know, we can't start this game. It's going to rain. So we sat there and sat and sat and sat. Never did rain. They finally started the game. But, you know, that's if you're a home team, you can control that. But once the umpires get the lineup card, unless it's the second half of the last trip in for that team, they control what happens in the game. And I think in those instances, you know, but yet again, we're fortunate in Oakland. You know, as a fan, great fans, um, 
then you can come out and watch the game. And by the way, did you see the note that the commissioner came out with today about the attendance and the piped-in sound? Vince, Vince read that on uh, right before the game. We evidently said if if the attendance is less than 20, 25%, which that's what they're allowing, then the the uh, stadiums can can use piped in sound like they did last year with the cutouts. And we were talking about the fans. Let's say 11,000 are allowed to come into the Coliseum. They're the loudest 11,000 fans you'll ever hear in baseball. And they don't need any piped in sound for, for you know, 11,000 people at the Coliseum because they're very loud. And so let's hope that's not going to be the case where, you know, you have the real fans there cheering and very loud. And here comes this piped in stuff. That's where I hope the drummers are really loud in right field and left field, and they are so loud that nobody can hear the pipes and stuff if indeed they do play it. They're not being forced to do it, are they? Yes, unfortunately. I think that's kind of what, what it said, that it's mandatory or something like that. But but I, I just, I mean, in most cases, and I think I just uh, heard today also that the Nationals are going to let so many people in. At one time it was zero, and the Orioles were going to allow 50% in, the Nationals zero, and then the Nationals now can allow such a, a percentage in of the people to uh, to watch the games. But, uh, no, things are changed, and hopefully as the season progresses, then uh, things will change to the positive. We can have all the fans in. And we had Dave Cavill, the ace president, on, uh, I think it was whatever, Sunday, whenever we, we had a broadcast, and he was on. And, and I, I asked him about, I think he was instrumental in taking the tarps off the upper deck. And if you think about that, and they're down, let's say, to 25% because the tarps are off the upper deck. That increased the capacity of the Coliseum. And that's why the 11,000 people can watch games there as opposed to if it was at 35,000 without the upper deck available. Look at the difference in the number of people who could come to the park. So by Tim taking the tarps off, it really worked. And I said, did you think that was going to happen? He said, never in my dreams. And nobody thought whenever that was done, he just wanted to be able to allow fans to sit up there and, and watch games for not as much as perhaps the tickets in the plaza and the lower level. But, uh, you know, good good reason to, to do it. But, uh, Tony, we're looking forward to a, a good team. There have been a few injuries that have occurred. But uh, by and large, I think uh, they're going to be ready to go. And uh, Puck had his first outing today, pitched well for two innings. Uh, it's sad that Mike Fires has a hip injury and kind of slowed him down a little bit. Mariano got hurt. Buddy Reed, who's been kind of outstanding, for the A's during spring training, uh, injured a quad. But again, uh, except for Buddy Reed, and, you know, Fires, eventually when he's healthy, he'll, back, he'll be back pitching. Lariano will know be in center field. But uh, I, I think things are looking well. I heard you talking about Jed Lowry. Yeah. And I think you're spot on. You're spot on, Tony, because just watching him run the bases today, he scored from second twice. Um, and, and Mark Kotze, who's getting a lot of experience coaching third base for the first time. But watching Jed run, he ran great with, you know, he had knee surgery, and usually there's a little bit of a limp from a guy who has knee surgery, but he's running great, hit the home run yesterday, a couple of doubles today. And, you know, the, the one thing about Chris Davis being traded, the fact that what happened today, Mike Miner started the left-hander. He's a left-hander for the Royals, back with him, and he started the game. So Pender started at second. Jed Lowry was a designated hitter. And for a player who's not played the last couple of years, comes back to the ball club, he gets a chance as a switch hitter. He can DH, get off his feet for half a game. Pender could play second, 
And so I, I think maybe today with Cantle leading off and uh, Alexander sitting second, Jed Lowry was in there with, of course, the two mats. And, you know, it looked like a pretty good lineup. Sean Murphy gets his first start tomorrow. And uh, so things are starting to look up. But I think, I think what you said about Jed Lowry is exactly true. Yes, LaStella was good, but Jed Lowry is 49 doubles that one season. Switch hitter playing an outstanding second base, uh, a veteran who can help a lot of players. I think he's a great addition to this club. And let's just hope he can stay healthy because if he does, he's got a chance he's going to have a great year. Let's be honest, Foss. His last two years in Oakland were two. If you, if you look at a two-year stretch of all-time Oakland A's, he had one of the best two-year yeah. stretch. I mean, he sets the record for doubles for the ball club. The next year, he's an all-star. He was a beast for two years for the A's. And Tony, that's why he got a great contract with the Mets. And, and unfortunately for the Mets and, and for Jed, probably more so for the Mets, he couldn't play. But I think the A's are going to benefit from that because he did have knee surgery and, you know, didn't play for two years. They might say, well, he's lost a step or whatever. No, he's not. He's actually maybe gained it because if you can take time off, whether it's planned or unplanned, in this case unplanned, you know, I think you're going to benefit from that. And I think what we're seeing down here, he benefited from it. You know, Bob Melvin is so good. Uh, you know, he had him on the backfields or at least at Fitch Park playing in simulated games, which means they can get as many at-bats as they want against, as it turned out, the, the, the charters for the athletics. Because remember, until Bassett pitched uh, a couple of uh, well, a few days ago, that was his first outing, and he pitched great. And Lazardo, so I think it would have been the second for both uh, Bassett and Lazardo. But so Jed Lowry and Sean Murphy starting to get some at-bats, they, they were able to take those at-bats against major league pitchers and in the sim games and i think that's what has benefited them and that's just the greatness of bob melvin and his staff to be able to say okay we have these fields over at fitch let's utilize them with the players maybe start a little bit later and in the case of jed lowry it's worked for him and i think it especially worked well for the starting pitchers you know with with not having minor leaguers there for the most part do you think spring training might change forever the way that they, they do it instead of, you know, having all these split squad games and having all these minor leaguers inside? Because like a guy like Chris Bassett said, this has been a way better spring training, uh, getting off of our feet. We're like healthier. I mean, do you see spring training maybe changing? I think it could change. Uh, I think it may take a little while, but I think in the future it might. I mean, we're already seeing it with the minor league players and, and in the case of what Bob Melman said, uh, you know, it's the first time he's ever told a player that he's being optioned to AAA. And, oh, by the way, you're going to stay in your same locker at Fitch Park because you don't have any place to go. <laughs> so, so and, and those players are playing here. And, and really the only difference is they don't get the major league per diem and all that stuff. But uh, but the bottom line, they still get to play. And we saw it today with, with the players. And, again, something that Bob Melvin does well. Uh, you know, Chapman gets three at-bats. He's, he's out of the game. Olsen gets three at-bats. It's a home run. He's out of the game. But Bob Melvin – does his best at making sure that players who are in camp get a chance to play. And yes, as we get closer to April 1st, which is happening very quickly, you're going to see the players playing nine innings, getting ready for opening day. But, uh, but I, th I think it is unique in a sense that spring training starting later, you have less teams now in the minor leagues. And, um, you know, I, I think it is going to change. And I think what the A's are doing with their starting pitchers, that may be something that happens around baseball, where instead of having the starter pitch, let's say in the first day of spring training exhibition games and pitches 20 to 30 pitches, 
and he's out, maybe they'll start a little bit later. And in the case of Bassett, who had to go to the bullpen to complete his outing, our number of pitches, you know, you're looking at 56, 50 to 60 pitches for a starter in the middle of spring training, as opposed to building up to that point with a number of starts. So I can see where that can change. And I'd say, uh, based on the pace of game and based on all, all these other things happening, especially with the minor leagues, which I agree with you as well, that that is the future of Major League Baseball, those minor league players, and they need to play and play as much as possible to get their plate appearances, their pitching, their bats, whatever it might be, because they are the future. And a team that's going to be good and not have to spend a boatload of money to reload instead of rebuilding, that is the future of baseball where you can take a minor league player, bring him up, and I, I remember back in the 70s, Tony, when we would, let's say Dick Green retired, Phil Garner came up from the minor leagues. And that enabled the A's to continue with the bulk of the team still together. But you can bring in a few of the younger players in a mix of veterans and a winning ball club, a winning atmosphere, and they can be the future stars of your ball club. In the case of Phil, they ended up going to Pittsburgh and started there. But, you know, the minor leagues are very important, and it's important for those minor league players to play well because everybody is always looking at them and always watching, and that five-year, I think it's a five- or six-year, that's the most you can spend a minor league, and you become a minor league free agent. That's really helpful for, them, uh, helpful for them as well. All right, Ray, great stuff, and it's uh, awesome to listen to you guys on A's Cast, and we'll talk to you next week. Tony, you're the best. Cody, best to you, my friend. And, uh, Tony, happy belated birthday. Enjoy the chicken pie shop on Walnut Creek, and glad you got indoor dining, my friend. You are the best, Ray. Be safe. You too, buddy. Take care. Well, we always appreciate the time. How's spring for you so far? Spring's going well. Um, I think we got a good group of guys over here and um, getting into the swing of things, um, trying to wrap this up in the next couple of weeks, get ready for the season. Yeah, you know, at, at this point, I mean, wouldn't you say where spring training is at this point is like, hey, let's just all stay healthy, get some at-bats, get some innings in, and get ready for the season? Yeah, I think – Spring, there's always those couple phases um, coming into it. You're just excited to get there. Uh, then it's like, all right, we're excited to get these games going. And then the, there's that next phase of excited to get out of here and get the real games going. Yeah, no no doubt about it. And when I, and when I think about where you guys are right now, you know, a lot of people, they're looking at the Yankees, right? They're saying the Yankees, they're saying the Rays. Where are the Orioles right now when it comes to competing in the East? Yeah, I mean – it's tough to put a number on something like that um, or really a projection. I think a lot of people doubted us last year and we came out and we surprised a lot of people. So I, that's exactly what we're going to try and do this year is we're going to come out. We're going to play hard every night. Um, we're going to do the little things the right way and we're going to try to surprise as many people as possible. Yeah, I, I like that because yeah, quite a few guys make their debuts last year. And right. it's like it's like a band of brothers that says, why not us? Exactly. I'm exactly. And that's, that's what's going around our clubhouses. Um, like you said, why not us? Why can't we be the team that goes out and surprises? Like I said, as many people as possible play, play hard and anything can happen. You know, when, when, when you think about the Oriole way, do they still talk about that in camp? Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, that's been floating around here for forever. And it's, it's kind of, grown into this new group of guys that we've had or that we have now. And it's like, I keep saying, play hard every night, um, go out, 
give it max effort um, for 162 games. And uh, if you do that, you'll you'll be you'll put yourself in a good spot. Yeah, you know, and and when you think about your division right now, and it's really kind of up in the air. I mean, I mean, we don't know what the Toronto Blue Jays are going to look like. We have no idea the Boston Red Sox. I mean, I got to think for you guys, there's excitement that the you know the unknown actually plays into your favor. Yeah, that's that's very well possible. Um, like you said, Toronto brought in a lot of new guys, and uh, kind of don't really know what they're going to all look like together. Um, don't really know what, what Boston is going to look like either. Um, I think they have a lot of new faces as well. Um, Tampa, they, they are what they are. They're, they're a good team and, um, they bring in new guys. It seems like every year and they, they piece something together. And then New York is, is New York, um, good team as well. So, I mean, we kind of know what we're getting with that, but, um, going to go out and try to, play all these teams as close as possible. Getting to know every pitcher, that's not an easy thing to do. And in modern-day baseball, you know, it's funny. We have Ray Fossey who was on our broadcast. Ray Fossey he was a two-time World Series champion with uh-huh. the A's in the 70s. And in one World Series, they only used five pitchers. To tell you how different that is in today's baseball, where the Rays had 13 different guys who had saves last year, what is it like? You got all these pitchers. Every guy's different. You got to learn all these guys. What is that like for you? Yeah, it's honestly for me now, it's it's getting a lot easier to learn these guys and um, kind of build those relationships a lot quicker. That was one of the tougher things for me in the first my first um, couple seasons in the big leagues was trying to get to know the the pitchers. I mean, when I first came up, everyone was way older than me, so it was hard for me to build that relationship with those guys. <laughs> but being around um, all these guys that we have now, I've caught a lot of them in the minor leagues already. So we already have like a foundation there. And um, it's just a lot easier to build on things like that. But like you said, there's so many different pitchers. The game's a lot different now um, than it was back then. But we're using a bunch of guys each night. And it's it's fun, though. It's, it's fun when you have that personal close relationship with these guys and you know what they're thinking out on the mound. And I, it, it's fun being able to know what's going to help them get through these innings and games. Yeah. Because I got to think from your position, I mean, it's one thing dealing with one or two guys a night, or if you're dealing with six or seven guys, that's a whole different game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're right. But like I said, if if I have that relationship with these guys and it, it kind of just flows from one guy to the next. Um, obviously, the games whenever we can throw one or two guys, that's obviously a lot easier because then that means the, the starters going deep in the game and then we're just handing it off to maybe one one or two other guys. So like I said, though, it's whenever you have that relationship and the trust, the, the pitcher and catcher trust, which is something that um, they've kind of pushed on us a lot to do these last couple of years is get that pitcher catcher relationship as strong as possible. And you, you you can tell when it's working. All right. One of the biggest stories that we're going to have in baseball this year is what I'm holding in my hand right now. The ball. We've been talking so much about the juice ball. They're deadening the ball. Uh, We're not seeing an effect in Arizona because Arizona, you know, it's the light air. It is what it is. Right. Are you seeing a difference there in the Grapefruit League? 
Honestly, not not really. Um, I, I, there hasn't been really any balls that I've seen hit that were like, oh, wow, that that's a home run last year. Um, guys joke around in BP, obviously, about it. Like, oh, that, that ball's gone last year, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, I think – if guys, if guys are hitting the ball hard, they're gonna go. Um, it, it maybe it takes away uh, a cheapy here and there. Um, I I think we'll really be able to tell up in Camden because I mean the ball flies there, so uh, be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it's gonna be real interesting because obviously it, it's become an issue. Did you yeah. notice that as a catcher that that you're looking at guys make good pitches? And guys maybe not be getting the best wood on it and balls going out of the ballpark and you're like, really? Yeah, in in the summertime at our place, you can you can definitely tell. Um we have we have a couple of jet streams there and when it's that hot and humid it the ball just flies out of our place. So you can definitely tell when a couple of off balance swings or putting the balls in the seats, it's a it's it's, it's frustrating for the pitchers needless <laughs> to say. Well, we had that, we, 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 you know, that playoff series we had with the Astros at Dodger Stadium and the ball, it was Super Bowls. They were just flying out. It was, it was, Cody, what was it, 28 home runs were hit in five games? I think it was 20, like 24, somewhere around there. It was, it was a ridiculous amount of home runs hit during the day at Dodger Stadium. Yeah. yeah which, which, you know, you, you grew up in Southern California. Dodger Stadium right. was known as a pitcher's ballpark. Yeah. That and Anaheim. I mean, the ball is, isn't supposed to fly out those places. Let's end on this. I, I think one of really what a special moment was this spring, and we've had him on this program. Trey Mancini coming back, such a good guy, and to know that his battle with cancer and to come back and that standing ovation he got in his very first at bat. I don't know if you were at that game. I'm assuming you were. What was that like? I actually I wasn't at that game, but um, I got to see a video of it and. It's definitely emotional. I mean, it's he, like you said, he's such a good guy. And um, Trey and I were in the same draft class, so I've been with him since 2013. And just to see him go through that last year, it was hard. It was definitely hard on everyone in the organization. And just being his friend, um, it was hard to see him go through that. But now it's just so rewarding to see him back and healthy, playing like himself. I mean, it looks awesome. So. What I'm really excited for is just to see him play that first game in Boston here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, he is such a good player. And to know what he went through, I mean, it's got to be very inspirational for everybody in your clubhouse to see what he went through. And and, and that's something that can really help everybody when it, when it goes to the battle of playing in 162 games. Yeah, for sure. Um, I agree 100% with that. He's He's doing a lot of good with um, the situation too. He's he started a foundation and um, he's he's making it. He's he's doing the right things with it. So definitely proud of him for um, what he's doing and just happy to be his friend and teammate. Well, hey, thank you so much for the time. We truly appreciate it. Good luck the rest of the spring. Stay healthy. Be well. Be safe. And we'll talk to you when you come out to Oakland. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you having you on the program. How have you been? Hey, been doing good, man. Just enjoying Arizona, enjoying the team, and, you know, keep making sure I'm healthy going into the season. Just how much are you enjoying seeing fans in the ballpark again? 
Oh man, it's everything. I've been I've been honestly enjoying them out there, talking to them, being able to interact with them again. It's honestly nice, man, especially when you when you've been missing them for a year. So uh, yeah, it's one of those things that you're happy to see people back in there. How much does it How much does it change your adrenaline? Oh yeah, I mean it makes you it just gets you that much more into the game, and uh, you know the booze are back, and the people who are talking smack to you are back. So uh, <laughs> I embrace it. I I enjoy it. I mean those are the things that really get really get the uh, the blood flowing, and uh, yeah, it's good. I'm I'm happy to the back. Yeah, I've you know having a lot of your teammates on this show uh, this spring. That's been one of the funny things. It's like I don't even care if people are ragging on me. I'm just happy they're there. Yeah, and that's the you know that's the thing. I think everyone's excited to see fans back in the stands, and you know everyone's going to be following the protocols and things of that nature. So I think everyone's just excited for that. So um, I think I think everyone's ready to get going and uh, get ready for the season. Now that you've seen this team for a little bit, because obviously the DNA of the team changed a little from last year, how good is this team? Yeah, man, I think it's one of those things, one through nine, especially guys who are on the bench or, um, you know, a a team that is caliber enough to to make it to the World Series. And uh, I think, you know, especially all the additions that we we have added, I mean, I think guys are hungry and, Guys are ready to get going, and um, you know I think obviously everyone's wanting to be healthy going into the season. But I think the number one goal is to um, have everyone uh, play as hard as they can, and uh, we've really been enjoying each other. And um, I think everyone's ready to get going. Yeah, we're we're all real excited. Can't wait till you guys get up here. That fr- I mean, how wild! Even though we're only going to have probably like eleven thousand people in the ballpark. How wild do you think that first series is going to be against the Astros, your former team? <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's got um, I think everyone's got it circled. Uh, you know, everyone gets excited, especially when we can play Houston, an in-division, an in-division rival. And, uh, you know, people people are going to be excited to see, especially what they have this year. And uh, we're bringing a good squad as well. So it's going to be a fun series. I think everyone's looking forward to it and uh, makes for fun baseball, that's for sure. You know, the big talk right now is what are you going to get out of your pitching staff? Because you only played for two months last year. I'm kind of a glass half full guy. I think the rest for a lot of these guys will be good for their arms long term. How do you see it? I think that this team has um, the caliber to uh, this rotation is just one that is going to be difficult to face. I mean, you have lefties, you have righties, you have guys who can go really deep into games and um, especially our bullpen you know I think that there's guys that don't necessarily uh, don't get talked about too much but um, are guys that are definitely workhorses for us and I think uh, the more important thing is we have uh, some veteran leadership that you know we have on the staff that you know can take some younger guys under the wing and really tell them you know the ins and outs of the game and uh, you know that's important that's one of those things that uh, you can't really put a price tag on is um, you know, getting some knowledge uh, from older guys like uh, Deekman and Petit, and uh, you know those guys are those guys have been around for a reason, and they know they understand the game. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see I'm excited to see how they do this year. You know, the chemistry has really been the hallmark of Bob Melvin's tenure here. Like, no matter who comes and goes, there always seems to be good chemistry in the room. And we talk about all the time how you guys play for each other. There's a lot of love in that room. 
when you got here and what's it like now, that chemistry that you see every day in the clubhouse? Yeah, I mean, the chemistry is some of the best I've ever been on. And, uh, you know, obviously people, these guys are what make the Oakland A's who they are, just guys who get in here and grind. And, uh, you know, obviously losing Marcus Simeon was a blow, but um, getting a guy like Elvis who has really seen this team play, uh, it's special because, um, you know, giving 110% every day, giving hard 90s is, you know, what Oakland is about. And, um, you know, I'm excited to see what we have. I mean, obviously you see how we've been banging around in spring training. I think that it's just the start of uh, something that's uh, a good sign of what's to come. Yeah, I think about versatility, and I know that means a lot to Bob Melvin to have players like yourself and Chad Pender and guys that he can put all over the diamond. What is that like for you coming to the ballpark every day where you could be at second base, you could be in left field? I mean, you just don't talk. Yeah, I think it's important. Um, you know, guys like me and Pender, who, you know, obviously been around the big leagues for a little bit, we can, you know, we know that, you know, one position isn't going to be your all-time position. You know, the way you stay in the big leagues is be able to move around and play multiple positions. And, uh, you know, the important part is to actually see, uh, you know, that you can have a, a guy – guys like us who have value in other positions and can still play it at a high level and uh versatility is the name of the game you know i feel like that's uh you know teams are looking for guys who can play multiple positions and to be able to have that in the repertoire is uh it's uh it's definitely a positive yeah you're you're definitely right it's it's a way to stay in the game a long time and make a lot of money and you're 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 so valuable to the team because as we know tony not everybody's gonna stay healthy for 162 games there will be, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, it's, you're dealing with human beings. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been on a, you know, this is my third team now, especially beyond the Astros and the Cubs. And, you know, I honestly, you know, it, it takes more than just 25, 26 guys to win a world series or to get to the playoffs. Um, you know, 162 games is a lot of games. Guys get banged up. Um, you know, sometimes guys need a day just mentally just to take a break away from the, the uh, all time thinking of the game. So, uh, and that's the important thing. I think that we have a lot of depth, and I think that's the important part going into the season is any guy that you put in in, in that position is capable of playing uh, the position at a high level. And, you know, all these guys are elite. You know, sometimes you forget about it because you're around these guys uh, every day. But, you know, there's only uh, around 750 uh, guys who can be in the big leagues at one time. So you have to remember that, hey, these guys are some of the best in the world. And, uh, you know, it's a true blessing to be around them. So. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see the boys, and I'm excited for uh, what's to come. I got to ask you about your alma mater because Sandy has just become a powerhouse in college baseball. I'm trying to tell people all the time that you know a lot of the stuff that's getting used in the big leagues, college baseball was used for them. And just talk, talk about how sophisticated the program is at Vanderbilt. Oh man, I mean, we call it the factory. We call it the factory for a reason. Um, you go in and you see the the talent that gets pumped out on a daily. It's just incredible, man. Um, you know what Tim Corbin has done with that program. You can see the arms, the Kubar Rockers, the, the the Jack Lighters. You know those guys are something special to watch, and the whole nation's watching now. And you know we can kind of some of the guys are comparing Vanderbilt baseball to Alabama football. Just about all the all the talent, all the talent that gets pumped out of there, and uh, you know, I think the even cool the the more unique thing that Corbin does is he goes and he uh, recruits guys who um, 
you know, are from all over. He doesn't just stick to the Northeast or the South or the West. He goes all over to find talent. He, you know, he doesn't care what you look like as long as you can go on that field and, uh, and give it your all and, and play to a high level. So it's cool, man. It's definitely, it's definitely something that I'm definitely proud of. And um, I don't know if you saw, but uh, we, I won a friendly wager against Colin Thoreau. He was trying to bet Oklahoma State against Vandy and, uh, I made him wear a Vandy. I made him wear a Vandy hoodie because uh, Vandy won. So it's always fun to have all monitor like that, uh, especially uh, to follow the guys and um, you know see follow their careers and really see you know what they do um, after college. No, and, and and you guys got sharp looking uniforms too. Uh, some of the best in the country, I'd say. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, this off season, the plus one effect. How's it going? Oh man, I mean, it's exceeded all of my expectations, man. It's um, you know, still being able to reply to people through my DMs and through my uh, social media is important. You know, people just asking about how they can help with the plus one effect, how they can better themselves, how they can better their friends around them, and um, you know, it gives me hope. It gives me hope that you know, people around the country, people around the around the world, want to see a better. Uh, a better place that they're living in or uh, you know they want to leave it better than where they what they found it and uh just being able to have the plus one effect out there and uh yesterday there's a guy who was at a game in peoria and he had his plus one effect shirt and he uh you know he kind of flashed it to me and i just you know i gave him a wave and you know it's those things that those things that are just it's cool man it's cool to see that people are out there wanting to you know have honest conversations about race and um you know these conversations are not always easy but uh, you know, to go through and have these conversations with a stranger who I have no idea what they even look like, uh, you know, it speaks volumes to just uh, how people um, want to get better. And, you know, I, I, it was, I'm not going to lie, it was exhausting, all that, all, talking to all those people. But, uh, you know, my wife helped me out and uh, we were able to talk to a lot of people. And um, honestly, we were able to, I feel like, uh, help a lot of people. Well, if you ever need any help promoting anything, let us know here on Ace Cast Live, and we'll help you in any way we can. Oh, well, I appreciate you guys. You guys are always, uh, you guys are always people that um, I love to talk to on a, on a daily. So I appreciate that. Hey, thank you so much for the time. Be safe, be well, stay healthy, and we'll see you in Oakland. All right, I, I appreciate it, guys. You guys have a blessed day. Well, it is great to have you on the program, and it's great to not be calling you an, an enemy anymore after all these years of you tormenting the A's. Uh, Mitch, it's great to have you on the program. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Do you know your career numbers against the A's? Uh, I don't know exactly what they are, but I know they're better than uh, than most of them, you know, most of the teams I've played against, so. You know, it's good to uh, – and usually at the Coliseum, it's been better. So, uh, hopefully I can keep that trend rolling. Yeah, let me tell you, you're a 271 hitter against the A's with 22 home runs, 59 RBIs, and 859 OPS. And, oh, by those 22 home runs, that's the most home runs you've hit against any other team. <laughs> well, but yeah, I knew it was pretty good. Did you ever think you'd be on the Oakland A's? You know, I, I wasn't sure. Um, you know, I've I've kind of had talks with people along the way. I, I had some talks with some people with the A's along the way and knew it might be a possibility. But, uh, you know, you never really know until it happens. So uh, I can't say I was too, you know, shocked by it. But at the same time, 
you know, you never know. But you know, your your yeah. old teammate Elvis Andrus, we had him on once he was traded over here, and he talked about always like Wow, playing at the Coliseum, the, the place wasn't packed, but the place was loud. Just what was your impressions of playing at the Coliseum? Yeah, I mean, kind of the same. You know, uh, obviously, it's it seems like the A's always had a good team. And, they, you know, it was never fun to go in there and play those guys because it was, uh, you know, it was going to be a dog fight. And uh, those uh, those teams were tough. And, and just like Elvis was, you know, like you said, he said the, um, you know, it might not have been a full house, but uh, you can hear everything that was said to you, <laughs> and uh, you hear the drums going and everything. So uh, happy those guys are going to be on my side now. Speaking of of hearing fans, just how nice has it been to have fans back in the ballpark for you? Yeah, I mean it's it's great. You know, it feels a lot more normal. It feels like it's supposed to. Uh, Last year was pretty weird, uh, not having, not having the fans and uh, having that that part of the experience. But um, you know, definitely feels more normal. Looking forward to to getting back to normal, uh, you know, in the regular season as well. As long, I, you know, you keep seeing states seem to open up a little bit more every day, and uh, and I think the the baseball side of it's doing the same. So. Yeah, well, we're just happy that uh, we got fans back in the stadium in Arizona. We're going to have fans back in the stadium in New York. And I I think for all of us in this business, you know, whatever you do for a Major League Baseball team, I wouldn't you say we're all just going to appreciate the fans that much more now going forward after losing them last season? For sure. For sure. I mean, that's that's what uh, that's what makes it fun, you know, and uh, even for my uh, my family, you know, they that's what my wife and my kids, they missed it, you know, and they talked about it and, um, you know, it's just, it's just a good thing. You know, that's what it's, that's, you know, really what we're doing it for and what we're playing for is for the entertainment side of it, for the fans there. So it's, uh, you know, it's good to, like I said, kind of get back to normal, get those fans in the stands and, uh, have that interaction. You know, you're one of the guys that's come over and brings championship pedigree. I mean, you've played in the postseason a lot. You won the world series, with the Boston Red Sox as a vet veteran player, how can you help these young players that have been to the playoffs, but they haven't gotten over that hump yet? Yeah. I mean, um, I try to stay as open as possible with them and, and, uh, let them know, like, you know, if they had any questions for me, but at the same time, if I can, you know, pass along a little advice here and there about some stuff or, um, you know, how the game's, played or something off the field whatever it may be um obviously that's i'm i'm all for it you know i'm open to it and uh you know obviously this group is really good i mean there's a there's some great players here and they've you know they've they've had success uh it's just kind of getting over that hump and i think you know the team we've got is is very capable of doing that we've got a really good team and uh you know obviously if we can stay healthy and and injury free you know along the way that'll help us too so um you know, looking forward to the season getting getting going. Since you got into this clubhouse, have you seen the kind of confidence that this young core really has? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a confident group. Uh, definitely a hardworking group. Uh, all the all the pieces you need to to have a a winning ball club, a, a championship type ball club, and um, it seems like we just go in and, and get our work in and and 
you know, we get better every day, but at the same time we're having fun and, and, uh, you know, we're loose getting, you know, kind of getting it done and, and having fun at the same time, which is, a which is nice, especially when you got a, a really good team. <clears throat> when when you came in here, how did they exactly explain what your role would be with the ball club? Um, I mean, in, in talks, I kind of knew. I mean, obviously, Olsen is great. Uh, he's a good ball player and, uh, you know, really good at first base. And um, I knew there probably wouldn't be a whole lot of time there. But they, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty much what they told me was, uh, you know, DH most of the time. And probably mostly against righties, and I mean it's kind of been my role the last few years. It's nothing, nothing new as far as the the righty lefty like platoon setup. Um, DH is going to be a little bit different, but I'm trying to trying to learn that as I go, you know, here in spring training, figure out some kind of routine to keep me loose and and keep me uh, interacted, you know, or interacting in the game and, and staying locked in in the game, and and um, you know just try to be try to stay as ready as possible you know i've always found the position to be fascinating how do you as you just said how do you stay engaged for three three and a half hours and you're only getting four at bats what do you do i've heard everything guys getting on workout bikes guys going down hitting in cages i've even heard about guys taking showers in between at bats it's like you got to find a way to keep the mind and keep the routine have you established one yet? <laughs> well, I can tell you it hadn't I hadn't got to the taking showers in between. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't I hadn't got there. But it's it's a little bit tougher in spring right now. You know, I don't have a cage that I, it's real close that I can kind of run up to and hit in between. Um uh, we do have a weight room pretty close, so I've kind of ran up there a little bit here and there, but um you know, I think it's going to be a work in progress. I really don't have an answer answer for it yet on on what my routine's going to be. And obviously, until I feel like I'm comfortable and something's working, I you know I'll probably keep keep changing it. So that's uh, that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. Um, definitely trying to stay moving. You know, is is the main thing. But other than that, I'm I'm still working on it. So I so I know today I played golf in horrible weather here in the Bay Area. It was miserable. So for you right. though on a light day, you're you're going fishing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you can hear the water behind me here, but uh, yeah, I'm just kind of walking the bank at, at uh Saguaro Lake. I drove up here and it's like 30 minutes out. I had to get out of the apartment. I had to get out and get outside and uh, you know. That's, I, this is what I do, you know. I like I like to fish, I like to hunt. That's kind of growing up in the South, and that's that's just that's that's our version of fun. I'm not real good at golf, and you know, kind of it, it frustrates me. So I just go do something that doesn't frustrate me as much, you know. Well, that you know, always always the thing about fishing is clearing your head. I mean, you're just out there. I mean, obviously, you want to catch some thing, catch some fish, but it's just it's a very peaceful type therapeutic i mean i guess you'd say therapeutic sport uh compared to like golf where you're th- you're throwing your clubs and pulling your hair out <laughs> yeah for sure um and you know it's it's different too it's kind of uh you, you get to see uh, obviously with spring training here we're in arizona different parts of the country and uh this this lake is beautiful you know nice backdrop it's like you say a good way to 
good way to ease the mind a little bit and and get your mind off of the the baseball part of it for a few hours and you know get ready to lock it back in tomorrow 15 career home runs at the Coliseum. Uh, I'm so glad you're on our side now because I got tired of watching you wear us out. So uh, good luck in spring. Be safe. Be well. I hope you get a, a couple bites today, and I can't wait to meet you at the Coliseum. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on. Y'all have a good one. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 